0: Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com, the website for the Barnes & Noble Ohio State University bookstore offering all kinds of Ohio State apparel. Check out ShopOhioState.com and our new friends at MinutemanTickets.com. Offering sports tickets, concert tickets, theater tickets in Columbus, in Cleveland, around the country. It's a national selection with a personal touch at MinutemanTickets.com. It's Uncle Tim's Radio Show. It's Uncle Tim's radio show. There's two other guys, but here's Uncle Tim with Uncle Tim's radio show. And now here's your host, Uncle Tim!
1: Woo. Now you should have come in with like a like a Barney type of voice, like, hey kids, it's Tim. like one of those things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Do do like the give Uncle a, give Tim? Do you have a Barney voice? Uh, I do not have a Barney voice.
0: No. Hey everybody, it's <laughs> Uncle Tim! <laughs> Are you ready to talk football and french fries? Tim, I I thought I'd get a little more of a reaction out of you on that. You kind of caught me off guard with that. You got to warn me about this kind of stuff. I'm a little worried that at the moment, Uncle Tim's Radio Show has a better intro theme song than Buckeye Talk does. (laughs) But our guy is still working on that. So anyway, this is both Uncle Tim's Radio Show and Buckeye Talk. God, Tim, I thought... Dude, I worked on that theme song for like five days. It's been in my head. (laughs) I'm like, I'm trying to get the tune right for Uncle Tim's radio show. And I get a, whoa. I don't
2: know. Maybe it's the rain outside that's got me a little lethargic this morning.
0: Yeah, but if you're lethargic, Uncle Tim's radio show is here to put a smile on your face. Or it should have been. Okay, this is Buckeye Talk. We have a lot going on. It's not. Uncle Tim's radio show is dead. It's been canceled. I hope you're happy. Bill, Tim, Doug, you can read us at cleveland.com slash OSU. We're all over the place today. We're going to preview camp. Ohio State's preseason camp opens Friday. We will be there. Get ready for that. Zach Harrison, the biggest recruit on Ohio State's board, has delayed his decision. We'll get into that. Adam Rittenberg from ESPN is going to join us to talk about Ohio State in the national context. And as we sit here right now on Tuesday morning recording this, the plan is Mm -hmm. to speak with the CEO of Bob Evans Restaurants about Urban Meyer Breakfast Coach, because... (laughs) what. when that kind of thing happens, we get right after the reporting. We yep. go right to the heart of the matter. What is up with breakfast coaching? Um, so we think that's going to happen. And we tried to to see if someone from the Ohio Poultry Association wanted to talk to us about Jim Harbaugh's comments on chickens being nervous birds. But we haven't heard back <laughs> from them yet. So we'll get into nervous birds on our own. Um We will talk about football too, right? Wait, no, I said the thing, what was the thing at the beginning? Some football thing. I don't know. Who cares? Um, last week's show was so serious. Ugh. Justifiably so. But so serious. So, so we're gonna get, we're gonna nonsense it up a little bit because this is the last time that we're gonna talk to you for four months where we don't have like football things that we have seen with our eyes to talk about. This is still the speculative stage of Buckeye talk, which frankly, Great stage. We love the speculative stage. I prefer that stage. But Tim yes, as we sit here preparing for the start of preseason camp, what is your number one question? And Bill Landis has been trotting out some wonderful burning questions. If you have a burning feeling... If you have a burning feeling that you can't identify, it might be the burning question that's getting to you. Check those out at Cleveland.com slash OSU1 every day. Tim, what is your biggest question for the Buckeyes? I'm so disappointed about the Uncle Tim thing. God, that went flat. <laughs> What's your biggest question, Uncle Tim? Well,
2: something I mean, I appreciate the effort that you put in. Some things are like great ideas.
0: Some sometimes they just fall flat. Don't put it on him. It was all you, man. You let it die. <coughs> I'm sorry. Your nephews are crying right now. They thought they were getting Uncle Tim's radio show. All right,
2: what's your biggest question? All right, my biggest question is what's what's going to happen at linebacker with Ohio State? We talked to Urban Meyer. He said tough and he expects him back at some point this season, which is kind of surprising, I think, when, he's, when he said it. But how how are the starting linebackers going to shake out? Really, in my mind, the only guy who I think is kind of locked into a starting spot right now is Malik Harrison. He's the most locked-in guy and because he, he played the most last season, he was the fourth linebacker. Got a start against Michigan State, and I thought played very, very well in that game. Has earned that spot, but right now you got three guys battling for two spots. You got Keandre Jones at outside linebacker, Justin Hilliard battling a middle linebacker, and Baron Browning. You can play either the middle or the outside. So I'm curious what direction they're going to go in, because you got three pretty talent. You got three completely different storylines going on. You got Jones, who's kind of the prototypical young player who has to wait his turn behind veterans to get his opportunity. And now it's year three for him. The year that Urban Meyer told us in the spring is on the player. It's no longer on the coach. It's on the player. And that it's Jones's turn in theory. You got Justin Hilliard, a guy who's had had a lot of injury problems throughout his career. Finally healthy, showed a little bit of of that in the spring. And then Bear Browning, the five-star prospect, the physical prototype, that can play almost anywhere in in the linebacker position how you fit him in so it's three It's those three guys for two spots and how that shakes out fascinates me
1: i think it's i think it's the most interesting position group going in the camp cuz as much as urban talks about that safety spot i just think they're going to kind of figure it out
0: yeah and we've talked about this. we've beaten the safety spot to death
1: yeah I just like it doesn't it doesn't interest me nearly as much as as linebacker does and i i i have I don't know what's going to happen like there are a lot of guys there Tim laid out all the guys, and like all of a sudden Dante Booker is apparently healthy and back in the mix, and I don't like Malik Harrison was a starter at the end of the year, but I don't know if he's solid. Urban Meyer said on Big Ten Network that Malik Harrison needs to become the all Big Ten caliber player that he could potentially be. So he's clearly expecting a lot from him. But in my mind, there are three spots open. Yeah. And, we, and it's because tough Borland's hurt. So they're gonna have, they could have three new starting linebackers, which is unheard of even for a team that turns over as much as Ohio State turns over. So I think it's the most interesting position group heading in the camp. I think the three parts of it that, that are basically for me,
0: when will Borland be healthy? Where and how much is Browning going to play? And is there a surprise guy that could steal a job? And I tuned out a little bit, Tim. I got your linebacker breakdown was a little low energy for Uncle Tim's radio show. Frankly, I could have used a gong in there, maybe, <laughs> maybe a honk a honk a horn. I can give you. A gong I tuned like- out. I don't even know if you did. You say the name. It's a high energy show. Last week we were tired, we were serious. This is a honka honka high energy show. Did you say Pete Warner's name? I did not. Do you want the not. gong for Pete Warner? So is the gong good or bad? I don't want to gong, Pete Warner, like people think we're gonging it, him in a it, bad way. The gong is versatile. Okay, gong Pete Warner.
2: Okay, hang on a second. An, it's ad, an ad just showed up here, so give me a moment.
0: Gong it into the phone.
2: God, Tim, <laughs> you're
0: off your game today. Start, restart. All right, turn this off and start over. Okay, here we start again. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We're talking about Tim Bielek's position group to watch, the Ohio State linebackers, Tim, why is Pete Werner so interesting? What is your high energy answer about <laughs> Pete Werner?
2: Urban Meyer loves Pete Werner. I think he made that clear in the spring, and I mentioned this when we got into the top fifty. That the more I wrote about him, the more I understood why Urban Meyer loves him. Pete Werner's a downhill player. He had the ta- the hit of the season last year against Illinois. I, I
1: can't remember who did the kick returners, but he he nailed the kid. Can anything of the season happen when you're playing Illinois? Now, why it gotta be like that? I'm just saying.
0: he's trying. He grew a beard. He's got a
1: beard. Did you beard. or did you not see the hit more than once like I did? I didn't watch a second of the Illinois game.
0: <laughs> Even though you were and there. And, the and you were there and you wrote the game story. <laughs> All right, so so that was a good, high-energy Pete Werner answer. The one thing I do love about preseason camp is surprise guys. Yeah. So, like, uh, that's why I've we've said the name Josh Proctor a thousand times because it's like, Josh Proctor, it's a true freshman. Fight for the starting safety job. But I love, like, what? So – there is absolutely a possibility that if we get to watch any practices or whatever, or one day someone says it and it's like, Oh yeah, Pete Warner's working with the first team and everybody's like, what? Not because it would be a shock just because it's not what we're expecting. But is that not open in that linebacker room as well as part of this?
1: Yeah, I think so. I'm just looking up how big, so Pete Warner's listed as 6'3", 236. And I, Here's what I do think about. I think if if Pete Warner makes a surprise move, and is like in a starting role on September first, I think maybe it'd be a middle linebacker, and Browning would be on the outside, and Malik Harrison and Counter Jones, all those guys will be on the outside. I just don't. I don't know if I can envision Pete Warner passing up all those guys to be out to be outside linebacker but I think he could be middle linebacker. I think 6'3" 236 is decent size to play the position. I know a lot of people were concerned last year when Chris Worley started there. And was a little undersized and frankly it was it was obvious at times that he was a little undersized and then he eventually moved. Um but the way that Urban talks about Pete Werner, he paints the picture of a guy who can like who can handle that responsibility of being the middle linebacker in addition to being skilled enough to play there. So I think he could I think he could go there and I, I the one name we have not heard and it's cuz he wasn't here in the spring. Taraja Mitchell, it, like he was recruited to be Ohio State's middle linebacker. And if there is a void there and they're not quite sure who can fill it, and they haven't seen Taraja Mitchell yet on the field with his pads on, moving around, um, I think he could be a surprise guy too. And I, I, maybe by this point we'd have a vibe for it, because Urban was talking about some of the freshmen in Big Ten media days, and that's a name he never said. Um, but you're talking about, I think he was, ended up being a top 40 national prospect, and he is a prototypical Mike linebacker. And we saw Rayquan McMillan come in his first year and, and force his way into the lineup and share time with Curtis Grant. Different caliber player, but Tarajan Mitchell, at is, is, uh, uh, points in his recruitment, was a borderline five-star prospect. So if he pushed his way into some kind of role at Mike Linebacker while there's this void there with Tough Borland injured, um, I think that's out there too. My instinct initially when you said that was like, they're not going to start
0: a true freshman at, at middle linebacker while they're trying to win a national championship. And it's like, oh, yeah, you mean like Rayquan like that's what you have to be and by the way apparently like everybody at dolphins camp is doing backflips over Raquan McMillan because he missed his rookie year with injury he hasn't played an nfl snap yet and people in miami are saying things like my god this guy like is running the locker room and acts like a veteran so you've got, so he that's who he was at ohio state too mm-hmm. you don't know but like if a guy like that is maybe like that would be how exciting would that be to see to hear that that might be happening that That maybe, because I keep saying to people about this team, I feel like I look at the roster one way, and I think they're a national championship contender. And I look at the same roster another way, and I think, man, like, I don't know. They don't have a lot of, like, sure thing All-Americans. They have Nick Bosa. They have J.K. Dobbins. They have Michael Jordan. They have Draymond Jones, who needs to have a better year than he did last year. We have all these young guys we think are going to be good. We think Dwayne Haskins is going to be good. But this is not this team could use a shot of talent here yeah. or there. This could u- team could use like, oh, that got this team could use what they've seen happen before. They could use a Darren Lee or a Malik Hooker or a Marshawn Lattimore, a guy who has never started before, play like an all-conference or all American player. Yep. And so you start looking around for who that could be. It's not gonna be Troad Mitchell. He's not gonna be that as a true freshman. But you you start looking around. Maybe it's Baron Browning. Mm -hmm. What if Baron Browning goes from hey five star guy? Where are they going to play him? To like oh my god, Baron Browning's like the best linebacker
1: in the Big Ten. This team could use that. Yeah, I I I I don't think it's too much to maybe not expect quite that, but something similar to that for Baron Browning. You're talking about. I mean, if if you went through the recruiting classes Urban's had since he's been at Ohio State and like ranked the guys in terms of like pure athleticism. I would venture to guess that Baron Browning is in the top 5 and like maybe at the top of the list with some of the stuff he was doing in high school all the different positions he played how big he is and how well he moves at that size. Um I don't think it's it's unfair to expect Baron Browning to come in and like take the world by storm immediately when you're that highly recruited. That's it's the expectation. Yeah, I look at the
2: roster and I see as I kind of look at the depth chart, I kind of have on my mind that, that to your point, Doug, I think this screams for young guys at so many positions to just steal jobs and just light the world on fire. Yep. Whether that be, you know, a linebacker, receiver, potentially, um, secondary, uh, offensive line. I think there's a lot of room for someone to really just come out of nowhere and really steal something. Maybe it's Pete Warner, like we talked about, because I think. Going into last season, if you had brought up Pete Warner as a guy who could play, that'd probably be very low on the list because he was one of the lo- one of the lower ranked guys, I believe, in the twenty seventeen class. And here we are talking about him as a guy who's potentially who's going to be in the too deep at linebacker this season. It looks like
0: Landis, what's your question? That burning feeling. Uh, you gotta look, put
1: a little powder on it. What position would you have to powder because <laughs> that burning feeling? I, I, think, I think it's offensive line. I, I would agree with Tim that the linebacker is probably first in my mind, but but offensive line is a close second. And it goes back to what I asked River Meyer about in Chicago and what I will write about later this week. It, what happens with the best op, best five <laughs> offensive linemen don't include a natural center? Which I think is very possible when you have Thayer Munford and Isaiah Prince and Michael Jordan, Demetrius Knox and Brandon Bowen, four of those guys who have starting experience, and the fourth and the fifth guy, Thayer Munford, who is one of the starting tackles. That set the starting tackles are set in stone. Which side they're on is not quite set just yet. Um, but we know that Munford and Prince are the tackles, and we know that Jordan is one of the guards, and Knox and Bowen are competing for the other guard spot. And Urban Meyer mentioned Wyatt Davis the other day. He did. There's a lot. There's a lot of guard depth. And frankly, more talent at guard than there is at center. And I don't know what they're going to do with the center spot. Like, Urban Urban did speak very highly of Brady Taylor. I don't know if I buy it 100% yet. Tim May asked him, he stole my question and asked him about Michael Jordan possibly playing center. And uh, Urban basically said, like, no. Um, I'm not totally closing the door on that yet because the thing they've talked about since Urban has been here, and every coach everywhere talks about is finding the best five. And at the moment, I don't think the best five includes either of the candidates that jumped the mind immediately for starting center and Brady Taylor and Josh Myers. I think those guys might be like seven or eight down the list, yeah. depending on what Wyatt <clears throat> Davis is doing. And, even Malcolm, and that doesn't mention Malcolm Pridgeon either, who I think in the spring people were excited about. I don't know what his deal is at the moment. But uh, the depth is heavy at guard. And we know who the tackles are, and center is uncertain. So I don't know what they're going to do if they go with the practice, and Brady Taylor is, is not among the best five offensive linemen. So they did win a national championship
0: with an offensive line cool. that featured two guards who were going to be high NFL draft picks, and mm-hmm. Billy Price and Pat Elfline, and a left tackle in Taylor Decker, who was a future first-round pick. And they did it with the center in Jacoby Bourne, who was undersized, who was never going to be an NFL player. But he was smart, and they trusted him. And he fought, right? So I don't know because I don't remember things. I think it's possible if you lined up and played who's the best lineman, Jacoby Boren in 2014 would not have been one of their five best linemen, depending how you wanted to characterize best linemen, Mm -hmm. right? But he held it down. He figured it out. He made the right calls. He set up the blocking schemes. He 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 was smart as heck, and it worked. It worked. He was he was thirty pounds underweight for a big time offensive lineman. Yeah, for what probably he was three inches too short. But it worked. So I I I agree with what you're saying. But for instance, <clears throat> I think there is a world where if you lined up Brady Taylor with. Knox and Bowen and Jordan and Munford and Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers and Isaiah Prince and you played who's the best lineman, he might be eighth. But if he's smart, if he can read the defenses, if he can get everybody lined up the right way, they can make it work. So I'll be curious. I think your point is a good one. Are you expecting... Shuffling? Are you expecting that it's not going to be? Here's
1: our five guys in the first day of camp. They're the same five di- guys at the end of camp. I mean, not necessarily because uh, uh, the one thing I'm not advocating for is like forcing somebody into center because you think that person is a better in general offensive lineman than Brady Taylor. Like clearly, you have to be comfortable with the position and all that it entails. Um, I just think that like a guy like Michael Jordan, who's been around, is a smart kid and is as an assertive kid. At least has the um, Like mental makeup, I think to handle that position. Or maybe he can't snap, and if he can't snap, he can't play center. Um, And he can't. Urban said like snap and step, like that's like we gotta we gotta get four guys who can snap and step, and they only had three in the spring, and they were like testing out Michael Jordan to do it. Matt Burrell was one of them too, and he's gone. Right. Um, So I'm not saying force one of these guards to play center because I think they're better than Brady Taylor. I think fit at center should matter more than anything else. Um, I'm just leaving the door open. for maybe one of these guards being a better center than we're anticipating. And then when September 1st rolls around, like the interior of the line is Bowen, and Jordan, and Knox, and Brady Taylor's on the sideline.
0: I think that's possible.
1: Well, who do you guys think I'm going to say for my position group? Because I have my group.
0: Receivers? Receivers. Receivers. Would it make any sense for me to feel 200% better about the receivers just because they fired Zach Smith? Yeah. Like – yeah. <laughs> my, I, my my initial instinct is like, oh, they'll be fine. Oh, the, the coach is gone? They're great. <laughs> Everything's fixed. How urban? Because it's like I can't – the reasons that he got fired are not worth joking about. Sure. The fact that a coach that I thought did a crappy job the last couple of years got fired is worth joking about. <laughs> so <laughs> – I think I might just, nothing else has changed, but I might believe in the receivers significantly more because Brian Hartline is going to be showing him how to run a route instead of Zach Smith. Is that insane?
1: No, I, th- I thought you said you were going to be feeling better about them because of that picture that C.J. Saunders tweeted out of his biceps. And everyone got went crazy over because he's bigger, he's going to play. Yeah, I missed that. You know oh, he's going to play because we rail against it, he's going to play. No, that's okay. We're going to be made to look stupid, which is fine.
0: No, 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 no. That's okay. We'll have him on the podcast then. He can make fun of us. Also, he's not going to play. Go ahead. (laughs) Um, So I just, I think, I feel like the room had plateaued. I feel like it was stale a little bit. I feel like, you know, why is somebody, I know you get better over time, but those guys, it's all the same guys who have repeatedly shown us who they are Why would they all of a sudden get that much better? So one of them might be because their quarterback changed. And we're going to find out, was it, oh, okay, they actually, they were open or open enough. And JT never like gave him a shot to make a play. And now Dwayne Haskins is going to be putting the ball up and giving him a shot to make a play. And all of a sudden, holy moly, they're awesome. Um, Maybe that, but also I just, I feel like a kick in the butt in that room. And when you change your coach for whatever reason, two weeks before the start of the season, that's what that is. Brian Hartline knows that, like, he's trying to win a job now. Brian Hartline is trying to tell Ohio State he should be the full-time receivers coach, not the interim coach. I think Brian Hartline, I'm sure, cause every coach would do this, right? He's, he's with those guys. He's helping. And I'm, it's, I've never talked to Brian Hartline about this. I've talked to Brian Hartline in general, but I've never talked to Brian Hartline about this. But don't you think Brian Hartline watched Zach Smith coach those guys? And sometimes it's like, oh, God. That's not what I would do. Yeah, probably. Just yeah. because, and that's yeah. not a, that's not saying that Brian Hartline's undermining anyone. And it's, that's not a, that in particular is not a shot at Zack Smith. Everything else I say is a shot at Zack Smith. Because that's, that's what you do when you have a job and there's somebody above you, you think you could do it better.
1: Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make the comparison, but I'm glad that you did it instead. <laughs>
0: Lead Ohio State beat writer Bill Landis. So so that that I think is good for that room. And so I'm very curious. And, and I don't know this, but I saw someone tweet this, and I want to ask about this. And I'm going to say a second thing that is a Browns-Ohio State connection because I'm going to a little Browns practice now. So, of course, I'm going to make this all about me and talk about the Browns on Buckeye Talk. But everybody in Browns camp is going crazy about Jarvis Landry because Jarvis Landry catches everything and he gets open. Now, he's not a big deep ball guy or whatever. Everybody, when they got him, it's like he had a hundred catches, but his yards per catch is really low. And he's like a possession receiver who doesn't get first downs. I think if you didn't like the signing, he's like the guy who gets five yards on third and seven. It's like, well, he caught it. It's a catch. Yeah. But like, who cares? We're punting. Um, but I think, but, but Jarvis Landry is a professional receiver and. Somebody the other day on Twitter, Jarvis Landry ran a route and made a move in Brown's camp that destroyed the defensive back and he got open by five yards. And somebody tweeted, this is the kind of route that Brian Hartline and Jarvis Landry worked on in Miami. And like Brian Hartline retweeted that. Mm. So it's like everyone loves Jarvis Landry, professional receiver. And like that might be like Brian Hartline might turn this Ohio State room into a room full of Jarvis Landry's, which would work. So, like, I, I just think if they're not going to change the playbook. They're not going to change the route tree. But if if all of a sudden guys look more open than they've looked, because that was a big debate the last two years. Are they open or not, right? Weren't we talking about that all the time? Are mm-hmm. they open? Mm-hmm. Is JT not throwing it? They are open and he's not throwing it, or are they not open? I think if they all of a sudden look a little more open, part of that might be Dwayne Haskins throwing them open. I think part of it's going to be Brian Hardline, <clears throat>
1: Yeah, I think so. I think there is something to the idea of like what what's a it's an interesting tangent. I was at the coaches coaches clinic in April and I watched Ryan Day talk for a little bit, mostly to see like if he said anything about how the offense is going to change and he didn't. Um, but he was talking about that concept of like who's open and who's not open, and there were definitely times last year where a receiver by Ryan Day's definition was open and JT didn't throw him the ball because by JT's definition he was not open, like. That's interesting. Did you write that? No, because I didn't want to go back and look at all the plays.
0: Just yeah, like, but it's
1: just, <clears throat> but, but, but that's very interesting to me. But I guess that's my why. It's like in Dwayne Haskins' mind, they're going to be open. Oh yeah. Um. So that's going to happen more. they he's going to throw balls that like we would consider maybe contested, but I think in their offensive structure, they are considered open. Um. <coughs> but to your other point about heartline, no, I, I, I think that. You can only get so much better, especially in a, whatever, six weeks until the season starts, and it's how long Brian Hartline will have been the position coach. Um, Ohio State's receivers, I think, suffered from a lack of fundamentals a lot and often got by with just their raw athleticism, which is at a very high level. That's a shot at Zach Smith. Yeah. Um, I think Brian Hartline, and Paris Campbell talked about this a little bit, is going to harp more on the fundamentals, and they're going to combine that raw athleticism with like a more a deeper understanding of playing the position. That I think will benefit Ohio State's passing game greatly.
0: And I don't think you have to have played the position in the NFL to be a good coach. No, just Urban like Fire was a good receivers coach. He never played it. Yeah, just like we don't have to have played in the NFL to be to write about football. So it's not.
1: I got well, one of those last week. You did? Yeah, but my Tate Martell thing. I don't like when we get. The, somebody said like for somebody who never played football, you you seem to know an awful lot, and I uh, left.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the people reading this didn't play football, so we're a conduit. We're a conduit. Now, some conduits did play football. I played football in eighth grade, bro. But we're good with the adjectives. Yep. We rock those adjectives. Here's my other Browns Ohio State comparison. Tyrod Taylor is JT Barrett and Baker Mayfield is Dwayne Haskins. And, and, and also, like, Deshaun Kaiser was, like, the opposite of JT Barrett. So right now, JT Barrett was Tyrod Taylor for four years, like, no interceptions, take care of the ball. And Ohio State fans are like, please give us something else. And Deshaun Kaiser threw the ball to the other team all the time last year. So now they got Tyrod Taylor, and it's like, oh, we'll take Tyrod Taylor, right? Mm -hmm. We want a guy who does. But I think it's possible that Browns fans will get tired of the JT Barrett style of quarterbacking, which is like never make a mistake, be consistent, but not make as many plays. I think they might get tired of that very quickly. And there's a lot of people who are Ohio State and Browns fans combined. Like I'm just thinking like if you were tired of the JT Barrett thing, that's what Tyrod Taylor's going to be. Except in Cleveland, they're eager for it. But in the end, I think both places this year, it's going to come down to Guys who are going to give receivers a chance to make a play. And by October or November, the Baker Mayfield Dwayne Haskins show could be a very fun show for Ohio State slash Browns fans to watch every weekend.
2: I, I do have 100%. an Ohio State comparison for Deshaun Kaiser,
0: the Browns. I don't know if Joe Bowserman. Hey! Wow. Wow. Deshaun Kaiser did not throw it in the stand, to be fair.
2: Well, he was also not very accurate either. Uh, Insert Joe Bowserman Nebraska passing chart joke here.
0: That would, that's, I mean, we've done worse slideshows comparing Ohio State and Browns quarterbacks over the last 10 years. I'd read that. We've done worse. Um, You guys know what I'm looking at right now? I see a shirt, but I'm not sure what this shirt is. It's not just a shirt. It's the J America fleece quarter zip. It's $54.98 and I like this because it's the kind of fleece, might be a woman's fleece. I'd buy a woman's shirt. Yeah. I like it because it's the kind of like classy fleece that like you could represent your team, but you could almost like wear it to the office, I think, or like maybe at least on casual Fridays, wear it to the office. And the thing I like is that on state.com, they have all kinds of stuff like this. So like if you want a hat or a sweatshirt or a t-shirt, kind of like a hangout kind of thing, they have that because they have everything at shopohiostate.com, but they have all this like next level stuff. I'm looking at the Nike flex vest, very sharp. They got all these like golf and polo shirts, cutter and buck, dry tech, inner bay, melange, striped polo. You can wear that to work, man. It's like, it's like this next level of high class Ohio state attire. And, ooh, there's a onesie. You can get a onesie for your baby. They have gym shorts. You got the long-sleeve tee. And I think that's important. Like, you you run the gamut. They got the long-sleeve hybrid jacket. That's sharp. The zip travel hood. They have all this cool stuff. I I think you could get lost at shopohiostate.com. Just go there. As our friends from Barnes & Noble, the Ohio State University bookstore, you just top in, type in shopohiostate.com, and they have all kinds of textbooks and stuff because they're getting ready for, for fall. But you can lose yourself in the apparel category. And here's what I would do, and I make my family do this. You go through and you find the stuff you like, and then you send that to your friends and family because Christmas is going to be here before you know it, right? And so you've got to lay some groundwork. And that, to me, is a time to get some of this next-level Ohio State merchandise. So you can buy it yourself, but maybe your grandma doesn't know what to get you. Your grandma gets you, like, a scarf every year. And you like the scarf, but maybe you want the J-America Sherpa quarter zip, right? Get to grandma early. You say, Grandma, go to ShopOhioState.com. Here's 10 things I want. Because you'll find 10. Because that's the way it works at, at this place. There's there's so much to offer. It is, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's as good of a place as you're going to find on the internet for the Ohio State stuff that you love. And we appreciate them being the first sponsor of Buckeye Talk. And we appreciate everybody out there who has said that they have gone to shopohiostate.com and purchase merchandise. It's there 24-7. If you want to follow them, right, you're on the social media. I started an Instagram account this week. Doug Lesmer, you can follow that wherever I am. I'm going to be Instagramming stuff. Follow these guys on Instagram, Ohio State Bookstore. Follow them on Instagram. Follow them on Facebook. You'll keep up, like, with the latest styles, with the latest deals. Download their app, right? You download the app because everybody has apps. It's appbnc.com, and you get a 25% coupon right away, which that's saving you, like, that's saving you like 15 bucks on the, on the yeah. fleece zip, right? That's a good deal. Um, it's, it's the best selection of Ohio State apparel and gifts. So, the other thing is, you can get people to buy stuff for you. You can also investigate what you want to buy for other people. So, it's shopohiostate.com. You should be saying this in your sleep as you're lying looking at the ceiling shopohiostate.com, <laughs> shopohiostate.com, Buckeye Talk Podcast. State.com. You can also find them on 1598 North High Street. It's the corner of 11th and High in the Gateway. It's Barnes & Noble, the Ohio State University bookstore. Sometimes it's fun to just go walk around and look at the stuff in person too. You get to rub it, rub it a little bit. You mm-hmm. get to feel the fleece. How fleecy is that? Uh, but if you can't get there, do it online. ShopOhioState.com. Um, Barnes & Noble, the Ohio State University bookstore. You're going to find the best selection, the best quality of Ohio State merchandise and they are a loyal sponsor of Buckeye Talk. So thanks to them and get out and shop Ohio And guess what? We're going to go to a guest right now. Now joined by Adam Rittenberg. Not blowing smoke, Rittenberg. I'm, I'm speaking the truth. One of the best college football writers in the country. You know him from his Big Ten coverage years ago. He has now expanded. He covers everything. And we're lucky to have him here on Buckeye Talk. So Adam, thanks for your time.
3: Checks in the mail, Doug. It's just great to be with you guys, and it's an exciting time. Everybody's opening training camp this week, including Ohio State. It was good to see all you guys at Media Days in Chicago, and season just around the corner. So, uh, yeah, excited to be with you.
0: Before we get into Ohio State, I want to direct people to a story you posted on ESPN.com this week about coaches who have gone on into other jobs. Um, after their college football coaching careers. How did you come up with this story and did you find in general, are those coaches happier now that they're out of coaching or did they miss coaching?
3: Yeah, it was a really fun story to put together. So yeah, I've been kind of keeping a list of things throughout the off season or stories that I'd read about in the past. You know, Bruce Feldman, my former colleague and guy that we all respect, you know, had written about Brian Yager, who's now Uh, working in the cannabis industry. I knew about Tony Levine, the the former Purdue assistant and Houston head coach, who had uh, just opened a Chick-fil-A franchise. And I also knew about Eric Johnson, who I wrote about, who had opened several Culver's franchises a few years ago. And and so just kind of putting it all together was kind of a a fun way to to do it. And there's other guys that are doing different things that weren't featured, but um, I wanted to kind of collect you know these five, and um, yeah, I think most of them are happier, um, or just as happy. I, I think the one thing that they all wanted to point out was uh, they still loved coaching and they loved uh, being around uh, players and, and 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 being part of a team. But for for different reasons, they they wanted to uh, do something else, and they found a lot of parallels between their former lives as coaches and what they're doing now, whether it's running a restaurant. Whether it's uh, you know being a pastor like uh, Rocky Seto, the former USC and Seahawks assistant, is out in California, or uh, you know in the oil industry, Todd Bradford, you know who just last year was working at Kansas, uh, you know now is is uh, once again um, uh, working in the oil industry. So it, it was just, it was just funny to and fun to learn about those parallels and how they're still getting that comp- competition in different ways now
0: i'm looking forward to the day when the three of us open a fast food franchise and get out of this biz and you can write a story about us
3: that i will do it i w- now uh will you guys be working with urban in his new uh <laughs> breakfast coach uh, bob evans uh, you know endorsement thing or are you going to go a different direction maybe uh I don't know a, a steak and shake or you know a Shake Shack. What are what are what are what are your top three possibilities for franchising?
1: Um, my instinct is to go right at Urban head to head. Yeah, we're gonna Love we're it. gonna recreate the Ohio State Michigan rivalry in the form of breakfast establishments.
3: Awesome. Well, you know Columbus is interesting because Columbus. Correct me if I'm wrong. Does have waffle houses, right? Yeah. Yes. And so that's like the big SEC thing. So. Urban's kind of right in the middle of that breakfast coach. You know, Gus Malzahn eats every meal at Waffle House, I've been told, wow. uh, at Auburn. And, and now he's kind of going against the grain with the Bob Evans thing. So that'll be, um, that's bold of him.
0: God, I could hear Rittenberg's, gro- like, his mind is, like, already thinking of, like, how he's going to write this Waffle House versus Bob Evans showdown. <laughs> he wants Auburn and Ohio State in the national championship just so he can write that. Landis, what's your question?
1: Uh, Adam, you mentioned there were some some other coaches that you didn't include in the story you wrote. I, I was wondering, um, like, what some of those other jobs were, and, and in general, what was the the most surprising uh, new occupation you found a coach to be doing now?
3: Right. Well, yeah, I, I, <coughs> I don't. I don't think Rocky Seto is the only former college football coach that's working in religion. You know, it, it, even if it's working for organizations that are religious based organizations. Uh, there were you know, J D. Brookhart, the former Akron coach. Um, who was most recently at Colorado, I believe he was involved in one of those. Um, so I, I didn't want to, you know, get too far down that path. Um, I, you know, I, I, the most interesting was clearly Brian Yager and his work in the cannabis industry. Yeah. And, you know, we, I, it was the lead to my story, but I, I just loved what he had to say in, in putting together events for that industry, including an upcoming convention in the fall. He based it on his experience going to the uh, AFCA, the Football Coaches Convention, every year, which, if you guys haven't been, is a a really unique experience. And uh, just to kind of contrast those two things, building a convention that most college football coaches probably would want to have nothing to do with around (laughs) their own convention I thought it was really—he's uh, he, just a, a great personality, really interesting story. I loved what he was telling me about how he still gets—you uh, kind of ticked off when he sees college football players getting busted for weed, and then realizing, whoops, I, you know that's my industry, so I can't—I <laughs> can't really get too upset. But uh, I guess you can never take the coaching part out of these guys in some ways.
0: All right, let's transition to Ohio State football, Adam Rittenberg. We love to get the big picture context from guys like you right now. In your mind, who's the best team in the Big Ten?
3: I I think it's Ohio State still. You know, they they obviously have questions like every team does at this time of year. But, you know, a lot of the metrics, uh, the efficiency metrics last year showed they were the best team. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to take a major drop off uh, anywhere, um, even co- quarterback without JT Barrett. I think their defense, the combination of personnel. And then I, you know, again, I, I do a lot in the coaching industry, as you guys know. I can't find a better defensive coaching staff than what Ohio State has. I mean, the fact that Urban Meyer is able to add Alex Grinch essentially as your add on assistant, who did a fabulous job at Washington State, you know, with their defense the last few years. Uh, they had the, the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year last year. They were a, a very aggressive uh, defense. To to bring him in was terrific. Uh, and then you look at the personnel. There's certainly some questions in the secondary, you know, overall depth at linebacker. But I love the defensive line, and I think their offensive line is going to be uh, solid when all is said and done. Really good at receiver, uh, terrific at running back, and you know with the potential, as I'm sure you guys have talked about to be better at quarterback. Now, is is Dwayne Hassons going to be the leader that JT Barrett is? Uh, no, at least not right away. But uh, could he be a better player? Absolutely. I think we all knew JT's limitations. And it doesn't seem like Dwayne has some of those limitations. So I'm really excited to see uh, how they do. I think the schedule is really notable, though. Uh, the fact that the Penn State game is early, that does not favor Ohio State. That does not favor Dwayne Haskins. Uh, they do essentially go on the road to uh, TCU, although I'm sure that'll be more Buckeye fans and Hornfrog Frog fans in Arlington, Texas. But essentially, his first big-time road test could be the biggest game of the season, in state college, I think that would have been much better to have that game later in the year after Dwayne's had some time to get comfortable as a quarterback.
2: Adam, we've talked before on this podcast about how the Big Ten is probably the best it's been in a long time. We've mentioned Wisconsin before, that how they bring pretty much everybody back from a team that lost one game, won the Orange Bowl. But when it comes to the Big Ten in the, in the big picture, is the biggest challenger to Ohio State defending its Big Ten title Wisconsin, or is it just the fact that Michigan and Penn State in the East are just so good that they got, they got a shot to steal the East from Ohio State and not let OSU get to Indianapolis in December?
3: Well, it's always tough to keep beating the same team in the league championship game. So you'd assume Wisconsin's going to be there, and if Ohio State gets there, you know, I think it'll be as tough or tougher a challenge, depending on the injury situation. If they face the Badgers again, I mean, this would be Wisconsin's third consecutive year in that game after losing to Ohio State and to Penn State. So maybe the third time's a charm for them to get over the hump. But I, I do think in terms of just upper level talent guys, I think we, you know, it's Penn State, it's Michigan. You know Michigan State as well with so many returning starters, but I, I'm I'm not one of those that thinks Penn State is going to fall apart all of a sudden without Saquon Barkley and without Joe Moorhead, their offensive coordinator. I think Penn State will have by far their best offensive line in the post-sanctions era. You know, talking to Matt Linegrover, their offensive line coach this spring in State College, and I saw him at a camp here in Chicago as well. You know, he, he's excited because if a guy screws up. He doesn't have to uh, leave that guy in the field. He can bench that guy and put in another guy. So that's a really important thing to remember as they're transitioning after Barkley. They also have the best quarterback in the league. And they just brought in the best recruiting class they've had, at least since we've been measuring or ranking recruiting at ESPN in the last uh, 10 or 12 years. So uh, Penn State should not be dismissed. Uh, I, I get some of the concerns there on defense. You know, who's going to, to be that explosive player? But the other thing to remember is that they get most of their big games at home, whether it's Ohio State, Michigan State, uh, Wisconsin, they do have to go to Michigan, Iowa also coming in to State College, where it's very, very tough to win. And then Michigan is, is certainly a huge question because um, talent-wise, they're there. They're, they're they're This is the year they should break through. This is why they were so excited when they signed that 2016 recruiting class and they had the big to-do with Tom Brady and Ric Flair, uh, and, and, you know, Rashawn Gary was the number one player signing that day. This is the year they, they had really earmarked to, uh, to, to break through. And if it doesn't happen, there's just going to be so many questions about that program and whether they're ever going to overtake Ohio State or even Penn State now in the Big Ten trying to get to that league championship game.
1: Adam, what's your level of buy-in on Wisconsin as a national championship playoff contender?
3: Well, I, I, I think this will be their best offense since Russell Wilson in 2011, and I still don't know how that team managed to lose three games, and especially the game against Ohio State, which we, you know, we all agree was probably the worst Ohio State team that we may see in our lifetime. Uh, then, then they lose on the Hail Mary at Michigan State, and then they lost a very competitive Rose Bowl to Oregon. But, um, you know, the, the strength at receiver, this will be the, the most explosive and deep receiving core they've had. In some time, they return a school candidate in Jonathan Taylor running back. They return a offensive line full of future pros. And they return a quarterback who I know everybody likes to hate, but he's coming off his best game. I mean, Alex Warnerbrook was terrific. Against Miami's defense in the Orange Bowl, didn't bring out the turnover chain one time. I don't think, at least for an interception in that game. So, um, uh, he so he's playing with some confidence now. The defense is going to be the issue because they lose a lot. They're not very deep in the front seven. They have to replace both of their cornerbacks. But this is a defense that has been, in many ways, the uh, the, the signature unit for Wisconsin. In the last four or five years, they've been top 10 every year, whether it was Dave Aranda's defensive coordinator or Justin Wilcox or now Jim Leonard, the former star safety for Wisconsin who went on to an NFL career. And, and it's amazing his story, guys, the fact that three summers ago he's sitting around and now he's one of the nation's top defensive coordinators. He's really got his work cut out for him, though, uh, to, to to build some depth in that front uh, defensive front and then also his own group, the secondary, they're going to have to be better because talking to people on the Ohio State staff after the Big Ten championship game, uh, you know, as you guys probably did as well, Ohio State felt they could have hung 40, 45 points in that game. They missed a lot of opportunities, mm-hmm. especially in the first half. So that's the gap Wisconsin has to close. Now they had an opportunity to win that game, but I think they're going to have to get better on defense to have that opportunity again. The, the one thing that I would say though is, you know, if they go 12 and 0 again, It'll be a much more respected 12 and 0 because they have crossovers on the road against Michigan, which should be better, and against Penn State, um, in addition to their own division game. So, you know, last year it was they hadn't played anybody, and then they played Ohio State and lost. Even if they lose a game, I think they're going to have more national respect going into that game, which then would give them a better chance to get in the playoff if they win. I'd be I'd be really shocked, guys, if the Big Ten champion is left out of the College Football Playoff three years in a row. Um, so, it would, you know, if it's a two loss Wisconsin,
1: maybe, but, um, I really think they have a chance to get it, to get there this year.
0: Adam, I'm always trying to tell Landis how good Alex Hornerbrook and Wisconsin are. <laughs> and he calls him Noodle Arm. He calls Alex Hornerbrook Noodle Arm. And I'm always defending Wisconsin on this podcast. And I'm glad that you could talk. No. Adam, I am I am booking that Wisconsin's going to lose two games this year. I think it's different to try to handle success with all these expectations. I think they've been propped up by the West being bad. I think they've been propped up by easy schedules at times. And when to me, when I see them going, having to play Michigan and Penn State, I think they played some close games last year. They could have lost and didn't. I, I guess they're going to win the West because I don't know who else to pick. But I am very skeptical of Wisconsin as a national championship caliber team. And and I know you took part in the poll I did. Ohio State only beat Wisconsin 14-13 in that poll to be the Big Ten favorite. And I was very surprised that there were basically half the voters who thought that, A, Wisconsin's going to get through the regular season and then truly go into a Big Ten championship game and beat the best team in the East – Like, I just will believe that when I see it. I think Wisconsin's the class of the West, but I just think there's such a disparity between the divisions, it makes it harder for me to really believe in Wisconsin as an elite team. Am I nuts?
3: No, I I think that's fair. You know, again, last year they weren't tested. I do think in some ways the schedule being tougher will help them. And it's not just the road games at Michigan and Penn State. They have to go to Iowa early in the year, Mm -hmm. which had like 40 yards against them last year. They're going to want to uh, avenge that performance, which is terrible. They have to go to Northwestern, where they actually dropped four in a row before winning their last ball game a couple years ago. And then in, in late November, after going to Penn State, they go to Purdue, which can score. And now they've dominated that series with Purdue, but uh, Purdue's going to be fired up for that one uh, on their home field in, in mid-November. So their schedule away from Madison, we know how good they are at Camp Randall, but their schedule away from Madison is really going to test them. But I think it could help them getting to the Big Ten championship game. And, you know, it's how many times can you lose that game? I mean, if it, especially if it's somebody that is an Ohio State, if it's a Penn State, or if it's a Michigan or a Michigan State. You know, at some point I think they're going to get over the hump. Now, are they good enough to do it this year? We'll see, but but I think they'll they'll definitely be a tested team. You know, they they may still end up winning a weak division, but they're at least going to be tested by
1: those trips to Ann Arbor and 2 State College. Adam, when you were doing your breakdown of Ohio State, you obviously mentioned Dwayne Haskins a little bit. Just, just, as someone who talks to the coaches around the Big 10, uh, what kind of vibe do you get from from the league in terms of what Dwayne Haskins will be this year, and, and how he could potentially you know transform Ohio State's offense.
3: Well, I think those who were involved with him in recruiting are really high on him. I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot to like there from the size and the arm strength and and everything else he brings. There's others that think that a lot of JT Barrett will rub off on him. You know, maybe not exactly the same, but um, you know, being around a guy like JT for a couple of years. Uh, you know, I was I was sat in their quarterback meeting room uh last preseason and just seeing what it's like to be in the room with JT when he knows so much um is is valuable for a young guy who at that point didn't know very much uh so I I, I think the coaches you know again whenever you bring up Ohio State it's, you hear stuff like embarrassment of riches and and and, and they're, they're you know it's it's Ohio State and everybody else as far as overall talent I think that translates to the quarterback position with a guy like Haskins who, while inexperienced, um, you know, has a plus arm, has uh, all the physical gifts you want. And I think coaches took notice of what he did in the Michigan game to come in and play like that and not make mistakes and ultimately help them win that game when there was some adversity on the road. Uh, That was something that Big Ten coaches noticed.
2: Adam, in college football, you know, the standard lately has been Alabama and Clemson, um, obviously winning the last two national championships. Ohio State has – the other team that one won the playoff era, when you look at those three teams would, when you look at the, the hierarchy of teams you know in the playoff picture, would you put Ohio State third and what's the gap like between them and Alabama presuming, presumably at the top followed by Clemson?
3: Right, so the interesting thing here, I mean the big difference between Alabama and uh, certainly Clemson and Ohio State, or you could say Alabama, Clemson, and then Ohio State on the next rung below, is that Alabama doesn't lose a game like Iowa. They just don't. You know, when they lose, it's a it's a close game to a really good team. Now they may have gotten too much credit for some of those Ole Miss losses a few years ago uh, because I think Ole Miss was a little bit inflated how we how we viewed them because of the recruiting rankings. But th- there's not a game like Iowa and Ohio State. Each of the last two years has had that that clunker. You know, whether it was Iowa or you know certainly Clemson, a much more talented team, but not competing in a game uh, a meaningful game like that. So that's what Ohio State has to ultimately get rid of in its profile. If you lose a game to a Penn State this year on the road or to a Michigan State on the road, someone like that, even TCU, you have to compete. You have to uh, you know, show that, hey, it just came down to a handful of plays as opposed to having uh, a performance like Iowa, which the committee just could not get past. I couldn't get past it when I was thinking about uh, evaluating teams for the playoffs. So how you lose matters. But as far as the roster and how they recruit, I don't see a whole lot of difference. I mean, they're all uh, in the top five, top ten from a recruiting standpoint. They all have terrific coaches on their staff. I think it's interesting that Alabama has had by far the most staff turnover of the three. I mean, Nick Saban year to year, is replacing coordinators. And this year, I think he was replacing four or five total assistants. Dabo Sweeney has had a remarkable uh, stability on his staff, despite winning 40 games in the last three years and making the playoff every year. Brent Venables has signed a historic contract as a defensive coordinator. He's been able to keep his two offensive coordinators, Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott, Urban has lost a couple of assistants here and there, but nothing like what Alabama has lost. So that's, again, very comparable programs, but Ohio State cannot afford that blowout-type loss, especially to a team that doesn't
0: have the respect of the committee. Adam, we know we have to let you go to one of those uh, big-time ESPN meetings where you guys uh, plot the future of sports as we know it. One big-picture question before we let you go. Jim Delaney gets asked about this every year, possible – realignment of the divisions. We see the recruiting bases. We see the population bases. We see what the four best teams in the East are. Do you ever envision a world where the Big Ten shifts the divisions? Or if Scott Frost gets it going at Nebraska and Wisconsin keeps it up, could the West get to a point where top to bottom they are as good? I I know there's some numbers you can look at that the West does win some games. But listen, it's just They don't have four teams like the East has; those four teams. Will it ever change? Is there anything the Big Ten Ten can do, or is this just the way it's going to be?
3: Well, I think Nebraska is the key. I mean, if if Nebraska plays close to its historic uh, track record, the West is going to be better. I mean, you've seen improvement already with uh, programs like Northwestern. Iowa has has the ability to come up every now and then. But Nebraska is the one that's won national championships. Nebraska is the one, when they came in the league, we thought could balance out some of the strengths of of the division, although they were realigned differently back then. I I don't know what people want from Jim Delaney. He did the competitive balance thing the first time around, and everybody just complained about the dumb names and the lack Hmm. of annual rivalries. So I I think Big Ten fans are a little bit different in that they care more about, uh, if you're an Iowa fan, you want to play Minnesota and Wisconsin every single year. Um if you're a fan of, of some other teams, you, you, want, you want to play those games. Every, if you're a Michigan State fan, you want to play Michigan and you want to play Ohio State every year. Uh, so they, they've gone down this road before. And I think just, you know, again, realigning it again, because right now it seems like obviously the East is stronger, um, I think is a little bit premature. I think he answered that question very well at media days. But ultimately, Nebraska's got to step it up. Uh, and that's why they hired Scott Frost. He's been very clear about his expectations of wanting to restore Nebraska the way he knows it can be restored, the way he, he was part of that championship culture. And, and we'll see if it should happen to a degree that, that Nebraska moves up. Uh, and then I think some of those other programs in the West are continuing to make progress. You're seeing investment in the conference throughout the throughout the league. Everybody either has done a renovation of a facility, a new facility, or they have something in the works. I think Illinois right now has something in the works uh, on their campus, which is long overdue. So uh, that should help you uh, as a program compete. But um, I think you know realigning the divisions every few years is not a smart thing to do, and it's not something the Big Ten's gonna do.
0: Well said, Adam. I will say in fairness, Leaders and legends were dumb names. Um,
3: terrible. But, and, that's the, and that's the thing. I, I do wonder if they just created, you know, uh, uh, benign division names. If people would have appreciated the fact that they, uh, they sorted the divisions based on historical, uh, competition and performance because they did. I mean, that's why Wisconsin was on one side and why uh, Michigan State was on another side. And yep. I can't even remember what they were. But it, it, that, that was really the, the, uh, the spirit of
0: that alignment. But that was not what people cared about. Adam Rittenberg, I know, um, I know our readers and our listeners are reading your stuff. But, but if you're not, make sure you follow ESPN Rittenberg on Twitter. Um, find him on ESPN. He's all over the place. He's one of the best college football guys in the country. Adam, thanks for your time, and we'll see you soon.
3: Thanks, fellas. Enjoy
0: the season. I appreciate it. All right. See you. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Before we get back to Buckeye Talk, could not be more excited to welcome a second sponsor to our Ohio State podcast. It's Minuteman Tickets. You can find them at minutemantickets.com. And here's what they have there, right? They have sports tickets in Ohio, in Columbus, in Cleveland, in Cincinnati, everywhere in Ohio, but around the country as well. They have concert tickets. If there's a show in Columbus or Cleveland that you want to go to and you don't have seats, Minuteman Tickets will have seats for you. They have theater tickets, right? There's all kinds of good shows popping up here and there, Columbus, Cleveland, around the country. Check them for theater tickets. But we know you're probably going to go there for Ohio State football tickets. So that's what I did. I went to minutemantickets.com. And I wanted to see what the deal is for the Michigan game. I think the Ohio State-Michigan game could be a play-in game this year for the playoff. I think Michigan and Ohio State could both be that good. So you want to go? Minuteman Tickets can get you there. There are a million options, okay? There are tickets all over the place at minutemantickets.com. Um, they They have options, different price ranges. And here's the thing that I think is going to separate them. And why we like having them as a sponsor of Buckeye Talk. Minuteman Tickets has a national selection with a local feel. Okay. We met with Scott, the majority owner. And this is a real guy. This is a real person that maybe sometimes if you're going through the big websites, it's kind of a faceless thing. Maybe a robot running that site. You don't want robot tickets. You want real person tickets. So like we think of them as our ticket guys. Right. So they should be your ticket guys because you can trust them. They're real people in Ohio, in Columbus. They give back to the community. If you need personal service, they're there for you. It's not just click a button, get a ticket and it's over. Oh my gosh. Is this all going to work? Right. They stand behind their sales. Scott and his crew are there to be your ticket guys. So we highly recommend checking out Minuteman Tickets. Next time you need a seat for a concert, for a sporting event, check out Minuteman Tickets. You can find them at MinutemanTickets.com or you can call them at 614-943-3000. That's Minuteman Tickets. They're our ticket guys. They should be your ticket guys. All right, thanks to Adam Rittenberg. Love that guy. Known that guy forever. I've been covering the Big Ten for 13 years, and I think he's been around the whole time. Has he always been at ESPN the whole time? Uh, he was at a paper in the Chicago suburbs, and I think he started at ESPN like right around when I started, like in 05. So <laughs> he's really good, so we appreciate his time. Um, reminder, Tim just checked on this. 90 people have signed up for our live Buckeye talk on Monday, August twenty seventh at Hofbra House in Columbus, and we need more. That's a good number. You guys happy with ninety? 90? Ninety's pretty good. How does that compare to the crowd you had for the Browns thing? I think the Browns thing had more. I think the Browns, if I had to guess, might have had like one hundred and twenty or one hundred and thirty. Okay. So let's show out, Ohio State fans. Let's let's top what we did for our Browns draft show in Cleveland in April. Let's do a big time Ohio State preview. Monday, August 27th, 7 to 9 at House. Go to cleveland.com slash OSU, and in the top right-hand corner of that page, you will see a a thing that says a thing. Join Buckeye Talk and cleveland.com for a special live event to preview the 2018 Ohio State season on August 27th. Click on that. There's a thing in there when you click on that of how to click to get a ticket. It's free. It's free. And I know some of you live rich, full lives. Most of you do. All of you do. I know that. So squeeze us in. We don't. This is all we have. You're all we have. We need you right now. We need you. August 27th at Hopper House. Come hang out. We're going to do a live version of this. We'll take your questions. We we might have uh, some things to give away, we hope. Uh, We'll have some fun. Bill's going to do a little tap dance thing he's working on. Mm -hmm. Tim has his ventriloquist act from Uncle Tim's radio show Mm -hmm. that he's going to pull out. Um, I'm going to sing a little Ave Maria. Um, That'll be nice. Really good. It was going to be a very cultural experience. So please sign up come August 27th. We want to see you guys. This is the chance to experience my basement in person. (laughs) (laughs) We will attempt to recreate... The clutter and mess and fart smell of my basement at this live Buckeye talk. Speaking of farts, Tim's gassy. Time for the time for the review segment on Uncle Tim's radio show. Here's Uncle Tim with the latest farts.
2: <laughs> better is that better? Uh, well, we got a couple good ones. There's two really good ones. One. It's hard to pick one above the other, so I'm just going to read both. Do you want to read The Pastor's Son first or the, or save that for second? Save The Pastor's Son for the end. Okay. We'll start with Doug7508. He says, Great podcast with lots of useful information on Ohio State sports. The real real-world real world conversations and food talk mixed in breaks it up into segments and makes the podcast more desirable because you are not overloaded with too much information and seriousness all at the same time. It's still all factual and interesting, but the other stuff makes it seem like you're talking with your friends at the bar. A big thank you to Ari, Will, and Tim for all of your great Ohio State reporting. <laughs> Just kidding. Bill, Tim, Bill, Doug, and Tim are to the podcast game what the Ohio State defensive line is to college football. Whoop, whoop. Doug is like Nick Bosa because he's the crafty veteran. Bill is like Chase Young because he's younger but still, as talented player, and Tim is the BB Landers, the lesser-known, underappreciated talent that is the glue of the podcast. If they are not the best in the podcast game, they are one of the best at reporting at Ohio State. Thanks, guys!
0: Free wow, sports. I'm going to buy you a pie for gonna, that. If I'm you're BB grow Landers, dreadlocks. um, yeah, I thought they were going to say I'm like Nick Bosa because I love EDM. You do love EDM. <laughs> I don't know what it is, There's
2: but one I one thing it. I
1: know about you, so you love is that douche,
2: douche, douche, yeah. douche. Yeah. All right, uh, now the pastor's son. All right, this is from Caleb Hauser. 9. It says, go Bucks in T-S-U-N, which is, I'm sure anyone from, like, any of the Ohio State fans know means that state up north. Bill, Doug, and Tim. It's Michigan. We say Michigan. Yes, we say Michigan. We're adults. Is it
0: school or state?
2: Uh, I think it's that state. If I'm wrong, correct me. I believe it's that state, but he says, Bill, Doug, and Tim. Not sure if you'll remember, but my father was the priest slash pastor who left the review and you read it aloud. Four star review, by the way. Because I was listening, I instantly started laughing and maybe crying from laughter that my pops got served. He listened with me and laughed as well. Anyways, my fart <laughs> review is as follows I love the show. From someone who is from Ohio but now lives in Michigan, you guys get me through the workday with your podcasts. I actually enjoy the full two hours. If people don't like the length, then turn it off. Keep doing what you do and know it's appreciated beyond the Ohio border. Your takes are knowledgeable, and I appreciate that. I coach high school ball at a school who has won our last five state titles, so your in-depth coverage of X's and O's to me is the best I've heard from media. I've actually learned from your takes and in in-depth research. The show is funny, entertaining, and very truthful. You spit it straight while giving us facts and lots of info to enjoy both in and out of season. From this pastor 's son, know both the pastor and I appreciate you guys and listen weekly all the
0: best and go bucks from Caleb Hauser nine so nice, so nice. thank you to both of you guys, father and son, and we would just like to say if if you 're a listener um, and you would like your father to get served, have him write a review, and we 'll do it too
1: we also uh Kyle from Toledo sent in a five thousand word email. <laughs> Uh, review that we received and we appreciated and it was mostly nice. Um, Read the back part. I think he made a fat joke about me. <laughs> what? Uh, he's, he has it segmented in his food portion of his email. Uh, he said, he said, Doug, you should uh, look into going vegan. Well done steak, plain hamburger with half a bun. You don't like beef, bro. It's time to move on. <laughs> And then he said about me. He said, "I've heard you mention on separate occasions that you don't like snack food or sweets." I'm calling BS. Uh, it's true. I'm not. I, I I like them, but I don't seek them out. And dessert is never my motivation for anything. Yeah, um, that's what I meant. Um, he said, "Timmy lost me forever when you tried advocating for chicken chunks during a chicken wing conversation." <laughs> Uh, which is true. He also said I should be meaner to Tim. <laughs> okay. He said about a month back, somebody wrote in saying Bill was a big a-hole that enjoyed <laughs> bullying Tim. As a result, Bill has been noticeably less aggressive slash confrontational towards Tim, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so note it. Oh, oh, man.
0: what would your, If you had a radio show, what, what would it be named? I don't think it would have the same vibe as Uncle Tim's radio show. I think it would have a harder... Philly Edge, Philly Billy, yeah, Philly Billy. I don't, like, I, don't Bi- like Billy. I don't like Billy. I don't like Billy. Philly Billy's pretzel talk, um, yeah,
1: definitely pretzel talk.
0: All right, we appreciate the reviews. We appreciate you guys uh, listening. Still five star on iTunes, right? Still five. It's a positive star? five star. Just hey, like Zach Harrison, tell them about the Spotify thing.
1: Oh yeah, so I think this has actually been the case for a while. I just discovered it this week. Uh, you can find Buckeye Talk on Spotify. I know there are some people who have sent us uh, emails and tweets about the podcast not showing up on the new Google Podcast app. It was before, and it's not now, and I can't figure out why. And to be totally honest, uh, I'm not super tech savvy um, to figure out why, and I'm trying to get some people to help me, so we're working on that. But in the meantime, if you don't have an Apple device and you can't get it on iTunes, you can get it at the Google Play Store, you can get it on Stitcher, and you can now get it on Spotify. If you just go on the Spotify and search Buckeye Talk, it'll show up. I think it's been there for a little bit, but... Um, I just realized the other day that it was there. I have been trying for a while to get it on. I like never got a a confirmation that it was, but it's there now. I I was reading something the other day and people were saying like Spotify, which it's is hard to get
0: podcasts onto Spotify. It is. Yeah.
1: So we're legit. Us and Alex Jones. (laughs) That's
0: that's what I was reading. (laughs) I wasn't going to go there. Um, next we'll get uncle Tim's radio show on there as well. Okay. Let's talk about recruiting a little bit. Then we'll get into your questions I can't figure out what the deal is with this. I need to go talk to my, uh, my waiter connection. Your source. Um, on Zach Harrison, which would mean I have to go eat pizza today, but I'll do it in the name of reporting. Um, I think I mentioned before Zach Harrison's uncle is a waiter. Don't tell I, people that because they're going to go bombard uh, the guy. I'm out. not going to say where. <laughs> Can I join you on one of these pizza excursions? No. Um, he delayed. He's delaying. His announcement. He was going to announce on his birthday, which is in mid-August. August August 14th. And now he's not. Our friend Clay Hall from Channel 6 uh, and Channel 28 in Columbus reported that. He's down to Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, right? Yep. Is there a read on that? Again, Clay reported it. It's an interesting fact, but like, what's the read? What's the read on a delay for the number
1: one player in the country in the Columbus suburbs? Um, I'm not totally sure. The one thing that I thought was interesting in his interview with Clay, um, he said that he wants to go to all three very badly. And I would have assumed that Penn State was sort of out of the mix, that it was a two-team race between Ohio State and Michigan. But I also think, like, and I don't know Zach Harrison all that well. I've talked to him a few times. i talked to his high school coach. I feel like I have a decent read on Zach, and he's not one to just sort of say things. If he says that, that he's struggling between the three, then I think he's truly struggling between the three, which is interesting because that's just like an added team that I didn't really think was in the mix anymore. Um, Because he had visited Penn State in April and then had back-to-back visits to Ohio State and Michigan in June. Um, And I think everyone sort of thought it was just those two. So it's interesting that Penn State is in a place where he's also considering them and, and is part of the confusion. I don't think it's necessarily bad news for Ohio State. It's certainly not good news. Because um, did you guys feel like – let me interrupt for, yeah. for both of you.
0: If he had announced on August – what? 14th. If he had announced on August 14th, were you assuming he was going to announce for Ohio State? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a local kid announcing before his senior year and just saying, you know what? I have a great hometown option. That's where I'm going. It's pretty straightforward. So now if you're just slowing that down at all, it must be – that he's considering the other two options more seriously. It can't be – I mean, it probably wouldn't be, I need to get
1: like more information about Ohio State, right? Right. Yeah, I don't know. And again, like this is just – the the most insight I've been able to gain into this recruitment was at the opening in Dallas when Zach was like very honest and saying he was more confused than, than he's ever been coming off of those official visits. And the reason he was confused is because obviously there's things he likes about both. Um, what's interesting is like, what's pulling him in the opposite directions, or I guess in three directions now, I think I can say pretty confidently, like the best relationship he has with like a head coach is James Franklin at Penn state. That seems pretty obvious. Okay. Um, I think the best relationship he has with the position coach might be Larry Johnson at Ohio state, which happens a lot, which yeah. But I think Michigan is doing a good job of selling him on like getting out of the Columbus bubble and he admitted that there was a piece of that that was alluring to him, that he's from (coughs) 30 minutes, 25 minutes from Ohio State's campus. Um, Everybody here wants him to go there. There's a lot of pressure on somebody like that. Um, I think maybe the idea of getting away from some of that is enticing and also sort of like branching out and being his own man and getting away from his family is enticing to him, and I think Michigan is doing a good job of pushing the right buttons in that regard. In addition to him having really good relationships with the players at Michigan, I think his best – player relationships are with the guys at Michigan interesting um so it's if you take all those things it's easy to see how he would be torn um my thought was always that like Larry Johnson being the guy that's going to transform him into an elite level defensive end that's going to make him a first round draft pick will ultimately win out and I think I still believe that but it is interesting to me that that hasn't already sort of hit him and he's still giving these other programs um consideration the way it, it is. It's
0: just funny and, and this is the kind of thing that I think our loyal listeners here at Buckeye Talk are not the kind of people who go after high school kids for recruiting decisions. I think yeah. we have a, a smart, educated worldly fan base that understands these are teenagers making life decisions. Except for Delilo. But this is when Ohio State's recruiting an Ohio kid They say, stay home. Make the great state of Ohio proud. Your family can come down the road and see you. This is in your soul. And when they go recruit a Florida kid and a Georgia kid and a Texas kid, they say, be your own man. Go somewhere new. (laughs) So, like, it's just the game. It's not, how do you think Ohio State got Jeffrey Okuda to leave Texas? So now that's what Michigan's trying to do. Tim, just characterize how important it is for Ohio State to get this kid. And if it's, it's always – I think this – this it's higher stakes when – if he was down to Ohio State, Texas, and Florida State, then it's like, well, he's either going to play for Ohio State or they're never going to see him again. It's higher stakes when not only would you lose him, but now he would go to a team that you have to beat every year That's are the two main teams you have to beat, and Zach Harrison might win a game against you in the future if he goes to Michigan or Penn State. He might not only not help Ohio State win, he might beat Ohio State. How, how big is this for the Buckeyes? It's a must-get
2: for Ohio State. You know, not just the fact that he's the number one player in the state, but that he's 20 minutes away. And if you don't get him, not only do you let him go to a rival, you lose out in the, the top player in the state of Ohio three in the last four years, and that's a, massive, that's a massive failure for Ohio State. And I know they got defensive. Uncle Tim. Here we go. Here we go. Well, I mean, it is. When you consider a top prospect as 20 minutes away, there's no excuse not to get him. I mean, is that if like, I know Zach Harrison's different, but if you're Ohio State, you have to treat it as like, this is a guy that we absolutely have to have.
1: Yeah, like, I agree with that. I also think you can do a really good job recruiting a kid, and then he just decides he wants to go to Michigan. Like, well, I don't think Ohio State has done a poor job recruiting somebody. Oh, no, far do, from it. Do you think they did a good job recruiting Jackson Carmen? Uh they probably could have did a little better job. Uh, Jackson Carmen is also like a different kind of personality. I, yeah. I don't know if in the end there's anything they could have done. Okay. So no, I think but I think that's a valuable cuz when Georgia Georgia <laughs> let's take a
0: shot at Mark Richt. When when a place is consistently losing in state kids, it's not just well kids are different and the personality. It's you you there's a failure somewhere there. I think Tim makes an interesting point about if you lose the top kid in Ohio 3 of the last 4 years because it would be Zach Harrison, Jackson Carmen and who else? Tommy Kramer. And Tommy Kramer. So that would be Tommy Kramer went to Notre Dame from Cincinnati, from a Catholic school in Cincinnati. We've talked about that before. Notre Dame at a Catholic school in Cincinnati is a home is a hometown school. Mm-hmm. Jackson Carmen, you just said, different kind of kid, went to a great place in Clemson. And then Zach Harrison again, if he's I <clears throat> I think I don't disagree with Tim, but Tim and Bill, do you think, would it signal anything in general about Ohio State's recruiting strategies, recruiting abilities? If they didn't get Zach Harrison, would, would Mark Van- Pantone need to do a reset and think to himself, what are we doing wrong? Or is it would it be more, and, and it, not that it wouldn't be a failure, because results are results, Tim. Because you look at the scoreboard, and Urban Meyer likes to look at the scoreboard and everything. Would it require a reset, or would it just be w- more one of those things in three separate
1: instances? I don't think losing Zach Harrison would be an indication that anything is broken or that anything needs to be reset. I think um, – I don't even put Tommy Kramer in this conversation because of the Notre Dame-Cincinnati Catholic School stuff. I just think, like, in, in 2017 – what class was Carmen? 2018, yeah, 2017, 2018 and 2019. It just so happened that the top two players in Ohio, in addition to being really good football players had uh, personalities that were a little hard to get a read on in very different ways. I've written about this before. I think Jack Harmon just wanted to be different. And I don't know, like, I don't think Zach Harrison is driven by a desire to want to be quote unquote different and do, do the unexpected. I just think he's taking in a lot of information. He's a very thoughtful kid. And, all that information could lead him to pick something other than Ohio State for what I think would be very sound reasons. Um, but I don't think that would mean Ohio State has to reshuffle things. And you can look to 2020. They have Parrish Johnson, who's a similar profile kid from Cincinnati, from a Cincinnati private school, who is already committed to Ohio State. He's the number one player in the state. Um, I don't think it is a um, a lingering issue as much as it is kind of very unique situations built mostly around the personalities of these two kids in particular. And the word I've heard about Zach Harrison a lot is
2: introvert. Like he's a guy like we talked about, you know, how the, he's very he doesn't want to be recruited like, you know, the kids are these days with the fancy graphics and the videos or whatever. He wants like concrete information and he's he takes it in very differently. And this may be part of the reason he wants to delay because he's he's genuinely torn and he wants to take his time and make sure when he makes his decision that it's 100 percent the right decision, that he's not going to change his mind that he is locked in 100%, whether that comes in September whether that comes on on the first day of the early signing period, so be it. But I think you, to Bill's point, it's a, it's a unique situation where you have three very different circumstances and where Paris Johnson and Josh Myers, the last two number one guys in the state that have chosen Ohio State, are more the norm and these are just the exceptions to the rule.
0: I will say that my understanding is that Zach – Harrison and his parents are very thorough in this process. They are examining everything about every school, um, which would lead to me not being completely surprised by a delay if you're trying to cover all the bases and you really want to feel like it feels like in that situation you could feel like Ohio State was the right school, but perhaps some have some regret if you felt like you didn't, fully investigate the other two options and so I think I guess the question is should Ohio State fans be nervous I think it's very possible that this is we think it's Ohio State we just don't want to have any regret there's no rush we're just going to be incredibly thorough but in the end we're probably going to maybe just confirm what we're leaning to which is go to the big time school half an hour down the
1: road yeah, I think what's interesting is that he's used up his official visits, or at least the, the three to these schools. And obviously, he can go to Ohio State whenever he wants. And Michigan and Penn State aren't so far away that he couldn't go unofficially again. And there's phone conversations that he had too. But I, I don't. It would be interesting to know, like, what what are they still gathering? Maybe they're they're done with the gathering phase, and they're still deliberating. And the del- deliberation is taking much longer than they anticipated. Um, but I don't. I don't know that. I don't know what stage they're in at the moment. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Um. Let's get to Nervous Chickens. And let's get to our questions. I feel like we could have a gong. Should we have a, a theme song for the question segment? Or should we have a should we have multiple theme songs within the show?
1: Yeah, because it's not long enough.
0: No, yeah. Like if every time we changed topics, there was like a two-minute theme song. <laughs> um, what do we do, baby? Without fuck, I talk questions, what do we do? Because that's that's Family Ties, which was based in Columbus. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Family I didn't Ties was in Columbus. So do, do we want a question gong? Because I can hit the question gong. Just hit a gong. What the hell? Hit a gong and then... Oh, I'm, I'm hit the wrong uh, button on volume. Gong mouth, do you? There we go. It's Uncle Tim's radio gong. <laughs> All right. Question.
1: Uh, this uh, is, is the... Th- my turn th- to this, pull is, up.
0: this is the thousand... We're starting with the thousand word check question. About Jim Harbaugh? About Jim Harbaugh, which will lead us in to a chicken discussion as we wait for what will
1: possibly be our other interview. Do I have to read this whole thing? No, you can summarize. Okay, I should have read it before I summarize it. Then. You made me read it. You didn't read, read it. it? I read it three weeks ago and <laughs> we got it. Uh, Brandon in San Diego sent in uh, a lengthy uh, Jim Harbaugh question on uh, June p- – <coughs> 30th. This is pre chicken revelation. Okay, uh I'm trying to get to the to the meat of it. Let's see. <laughs> get to the meat of it. That
0: wasn't actually, <laughs> That actually wasn't it. Gong, name. get Boom. a gong. We should have a bedung chung too.
2: I don't know if there's an app for that. This is I'll give you another gong enough.
1: though. I feel like it's not loud enough. All right. He asked, okay, so he said, I'm just going to read it. He says, uh, do you well, think... Well, I, I read it. Okay, if you read it, then ask the question, because I have to read the whole thing to come up with a, to summarize 500 words into <coughs> 40 to ask a question. His question is, is Jim Harbaugh burned out?
0: And his question was, the way it ended in San Francisco, did did Michigan get sort of a shell of Jim Harbaugh? And if we're waiting for Jim Harbaugh to be the Jim Harbaugh who revitalized Stanford, who went to a Super Bowl with the Niners, or are we waiting for somebody who's not going to show up? Because he's different, because he's changed by where he's at in his coaching life. And again, Urban Meyer burned out at one point in his coaching life, but he took a year off and revitalized and, and came back to his home state school and, and was like a new man. And maybe like Jim Harbaugh didn't get a year off I think people were waiting for like Jim Harbaugh, a new man, and maybe you're not going to get it. And 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 here what is what I think is interesting is, is again, we observe Jim Harbaugh in his natural environment at Big Ten Media Days. He was a little more – he was more subdued this offseason, right? For sure. Wasn't in fights with people, wasn't running around shirtless at camps. Did it, the whole satellite camp thing, is that even a thing anymore? Like, was that like that was like a huge thing? It was like Jim Harbaugh changed the face of college football with all these summer side
1: satellite camps a couple years ago. I don't think I heard someone say the word satellite camp. Well, they changed the rules. Yeah. There's a, there's a smaller window in which you can do them, you can only do so many. Um, and it's not like it's no longer like the Michigan football camp at IMG Academy. It's like here's a camp in Bradenton, Florida that's run by somebody else with guest instructors from Michigan's coaching staff and nine other coaching staffs. Okay. So that's why I should have known the rule. But he didn't,
0: get, he didn't get in a fight with Gene Smith. You know, he didn't get – he wasn't out. He didn't make off-season waves. The the trip now, I think people think that, like, Michigan's spring break trip is just cool. So they went. Yeah. And that was cool and that was it. Um, but is Jim Harbaugh burned out? At Big Ten Media Days, I was trying to ask them, and I wrote this at Cleveland.com. Go read this. Not enough people are reading it. Man, why aren't people reading a Michigan column on a Cleveland.com website? I'm shocked. I think Michigan's going to be good. And I said to Chase Winovich from Michigan, hey, you guys are 28-11 and the last three years. That's a lot better than it was the previous seven years. Like, that's pretty good, right? And he was like, oh, my God, you're the first person who's asked me a question in a positive manner about our record since the season ended. Because everybody else is talking about them being 8-5 and and losing their last three games. But it was very hard to get Jim Harbaugh to say good things about his own program. He wouldn't – he just – even talking about Shea Patterson, he just said – a good quarterback's gonna win the job. He wouldn't talk about, you know, they, they, they fired their strength coach. He got a new strength coach. They fired their offense. They forced out their offensive coordinator and brought in Jim McElwain and Ed Warner. They are reshaping things. As Adam mentioned, their 16 and 17 recruiting classes were both in the top 10. I added it up. I think they have eight or I think they have nine top 150 kids from those two years who are starting this season. Like it's there. Mm-hmm. and i don't buy the brady hoke comparisons. everybody says, yeah, you can see you can find as many graphics as you want comparing brady hoke's first 3 years to jim Harbaugh's first 3 years and the record is similar, the record against rivals is similar. that's cuz brady hoke had a sugar bowl year with rich rod's players the first year. but brady hoke and then brady hoke had a couple good recruiting classes but brady hoke was actually on a decline. i don't think michigan's on a decline. do you think michigan's on a decline cuz they went 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 8 and 5?
1: Uh, No, I mean, this uh, this year will tell us whether it is or not. I don't think it's a decline. I think it was a step back year because they were
0: young and they got terrible quarterback play that was worsened by injuries. So I think they're going to have a quarterback. Their defense is really good. I think they're going to be really good. But I think the idea of is Jim Harbaugh burned out is a very interesting idea because we know that happens to coaches and – you thought like you come back to you come back to your school and you're all fired up about it and you are running around shirtless at camps, but I don't know. Like I think I think it's possible. To, I think it's a very interesting theory and I think that can be tested this year by how they continue to recruit and by you know he I, I would argue against it at the moment because they did they replaced things. He didn't let it get stale. They got rid of the strength coach. They got rid of these people. Mm-hmm. He 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 adjusted. Where he saw an issue, he adjusted. They went out and got Shea Patterson, right? I, I I don't think he's burned out, but I think it's an interesting way to look at it that I, ha- I hadn't thought of. Do you think it's possible? Do you think he's? Do you think it's possible that the Michigan Jim Harbaugh is a shell of the 49ers Stanford Jim Harbaugh, and that's maybe not going to change until he gets a break? No,
1: I don't know if I buy that. I, um, Yeah, I don't know, because like, I think if he was worn out, I think there'd be obvious signs sort of of complacency and, and like you, you laid out the changes in the coaching staff and, and I think was, those, those will run counter to complacency. I don't think you go out and like try to find a Shea Patterson if you're just kind of coasting and don't, and are sort of apathetic to what's happening. Um, I think you go out and get Shea Patterson because you're feeling the pressure and know that you have the talented team this year and you're not so certain about the quarterback play. So you go out and get the former five star kid who was number one quarterback in the country. Um, so no, I don't I don't think he's burned out. Um I think maybe he approached it the wrong way when he first started, like it was a little too out there. And I frankly, I think the way he's been this offseason and last year too, um are some kind of acknowledgement of that. So no, I don't think he's burned out. I think he's I think he's sort of recalibrated a little bit, but is still just as motivated to get Michigan back on top as he was when he took the job. And I do think part of it was
0: trying to get attention for Michigan
1: no matter what he had to do early yeah. on.
0: Tim,
2: yeah, I I I'm with Bill. Like I think if he was burned out in Michigan, he'd be back in the NFL by now doing something else as a head coach or an offensive coordinator. I think part of like just the frustration with him is you mentioned it, Doug, quarterbacks. When you ha- when your quarterbacks yeah. for 95% of the <coughs> games you coach are J- Jake Rudock, uh, Wilm Spate and John O'Corn, you're not gonna play, you're not gonna be very good. And we saw what happened, you know, when those guys have played Ohio State, it, it really hasn't gone well for them. I mean, that, the 2016 game aside, where Ohio State's offense really didn't do anything for about two and a half quarters until, and the defense really kept them in that game until then. Those, like Michigan's really, been a one-dimensional football team, that dimension was an outstanding defense led by a very a great defensive coordinator in Don Brown, who's probably not going anywhere. You'd love to talk about Don Brown.
0: He's really good, though.
2: Yeah, he, he's worth, he's, he's one of the best defensive coordinators. Like, I put him up there with like guys like Brent Venables as like top defensive coordinators in college football. Uh,
0: Alex Grinch. You'd put him up there with Alex Grinch. Mm-hmm. Bill yeah. Davis. <laughs> um, so I think that's real. Here's uh, Michigan's going to be better than Wisconsin this year. I think Wisconsin loses two. I think there's I think Wisconsin, Michigan loses no more than two. I think ten and two is the floor for Michigan in this regular season. I, I talked to someone who knows Michigan well at Big Ten Media Days who was talking about like it's just so it depends so much on the opener. They open with Notre Dame. That's two big time programs at crossroads potentially. Um they think if, if they win that game, Michigan's season could go one way, they lose it, it goes another. But I, I think Michigan's going to be really good. And I think people who think – and I'm surprised. I'm, I'm just even a little surprised. I read another Michigan headline today by a Michigan writer that I really respect that was talking about, like, how bad 8-5 and five was and how bad that losing was and stuff. It's like the, Rich Rod was going 3-9. and nine. They were eight and two. This is Michigan's season last year. They're eight and two, and they finish against Wisconsin and Ohio State with with quarterback problems. And they lose both those games and they're eight and four and then they go piss a bowl game against South Carolina down their leg. Okay. But it's like, oh, they ended on a three game
1: losing streak. I think the bowl it seems to me from the stuff that I've read about Michigan last season. People are really hung up on that bowl game. It was a 17 or 16-point lead they blew to South Carolina. They were the only Big Ten team to lose their bowl game, which mm-hmm. means nothing. Um, but people I think there was a there's a sentiment that like Michigan quit. And people are hung up on the way the season ended, the South Carolina game.
0: I am not hung up on a bowl game. Bowl I don't games get hung are up weird. Bowl,
1: game
0: bowl games are always the end of one season and the beginning of another, so I know why people use it as a benchmark. But they're also a thing under themselves, and, and it's like if you if you were 8-2 and two and you thought you were going to maybe go to a, a playoff bowl, and all the season you're play, you're playing South Carolina in the Blue Bonnet Bowl and you don't give a crap, we see t- good teams not give a crap and lose to less talented teams in bowls all the time. Because South Carolina, who's their coach? Is Lou Holtz their coach? <laughs> No. Who's uh, their coach? Will, Will Is it Billy Bob somebody? Slow, Will Muschamp? Yeah. Must Will Muschamp's their coach? Texas yeah. coach and waiting Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp. You know what South Carolina really needed to do last year? Beat Michigan in a bowl. That's a big deal for South Carolina, right? Yep. By the way, Cox. <laughs> Bill's wearing a shirt that says Cox. <laughs> Not that he supports South Carolina, but he drove through it. Yep. Cox! When that's a big deal that, so who would you rather be right now? Would you rather be South Carolina or would you rather be Michigan? (laughs) Michigan. But South Carolina won the bowl game. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's where I am on that. But
2: But South Carolina has to play Georgia every year.
0: So I don't know. I'm like, I'm just, I'm like a Michigan defender. I almost feel bad. Like I, I can't believe they were 46 and 42 for seven years. And somehow eight and five is like, oh my god, Harbaugh's lost it. I don't, I don't get it at all. Their quarterbacks, no. John O'Korn, was a Division three level quarterback, and he's playing Ohio State, and they almost won.
1: If he would have made like two more throws, they probably. I don't say they would have won that game. We had a discussion after the game. Like if John O'Korn hit one or two open receivers, well, they would have won. Um, certainly would have been a different game. The, yeah. whole, the whole the hole that Dwayne Haskins had to lead Ohio State out of would have been a deeper hole had John O'Corn not thrown the ball forty feet over the head of wide open tight ends. Yeah. So all right. now so I wrote this big positive thing about Michigan. Go read
0: it. I'm put I'm I guarantee it. Ten and two, no worse than ten and two, I guarantee they
1: beat Wisconsin. How about that? Mm-hmm.
0: Somebody asked a question. But I who went,
1: are the two losses to? Because that also matters. For who? For Ohio State? No. For no, Michigan. No. For Michigan. I because think they... part of it, part of it is he's one in five against Michigan State and Ohio State. So listen. So I, I get that too. They're, they're one in five, uh, right? One of the
0: Michigan, one of the Michigan State losses is the most ridiculous loss, literally that any of us have ever
1: seen. Yeah. On the punt thing. And the one last year was like, I think it was, was like fourteen to ten. They were. It was a one score yeah. game, and like the skies open and it poured and nobody did anything after it poured right yeah. um and then two of his losses his lost second loss to ohio state is like one of the most epic games ever right and last year they would have won if like i was playing quarterback
0: yeah so and i get I, I i said in the story i wrote like it sounds like excuses if you want to make it sound like excuses they've lost 11 games seven of the 11 games they've lost in his three years have come against teams that were ranked in the top eight at the end of the season yeah like they're losing to really good teams, and a lot of those they lost to Florida State, who finished in the top eight in that crazy bowl game when they did, they played without Jabril Peppers and they took a lead in the last two minutes and then lost by a point. Yeah, right with Jake Rudolph, at mm-hmm. quarterback. Like that was nuts. They've they've lost they lost at Iowa 14-13 in the year when they were looking like they might be a, a playoff team.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: um, they lost their they lost Jim Harbaugh's first game to Utah. Utah went ten and three that year. Like they didn't open with they didn't open with Tulane, you know. Like it's I I think it's very easy if you examine it at all to go through and see that Michigan has been a good team that's had some trouble finishing, but they've played they've lost to really good teams and they're not that far away. And I feel like yeah. the main thing that they were that was
1: keeping them back was quarterback play, and that sounds like it should be fixed. I just, I think in general, it is. It, I think it's very easy to sound like we're like defending Michigan, and I guess in some respects we are. I am, but but only to like it's not. I feel like Michigan has been painted as like a total disaster. Like The hardball yes. era of Michigan has been painted as a total disaster, and that is far from the truth. Forty six and forty two for the previous seven years. <laughs> yeah. So like I like if you want to if you want to hold up you haven't beaten Ohio State that's fine. If you want to hold up your <laughs> one and two against Michigan State that's fine. But let's not pretend like Michigan is the worst team in college football. Because they won eight and five last year. And also, everybody makes fun of them for finishing third and fourth in the division, which
0: everyone calls the best division in college football. Yeah. When you are the best division in college football and you have four great programs, you have four top 15 teams in that division, somebody's going to lose.
1: How many? I'm trying to think. Maybe this is unfair to ask. They've only been like crushed twice, right? In 2015, when, when Ohio State's 45 NFL draft picks were pissed off and beat them in Ann Arbor. Yep. And then last year, when Penn State just steamrolled them in state college. Yep. But other than that, they've been competitive, even though they haven't won. Yes. Against the best teams in the Big Ten. Yeah,
0: I think that's right. So I don't know. It's it's. Um, I think it's a as with most stuff. I don't. I, I push back against what I think are are incorrect storylines because I hate the word narrative. I think the I think the the vibe around Michigan is wrong. So I, if I'm defending Michigan, I'm defending them against what I think is an incorrect view of the first three years yep. when you break it down. Yes. But
1: so if I'm – so yeah, I mean, what the heck? But people, I think people misconstrue that. Like, again, I feel like whenever we talk about Michigan and talk about them in this way, people are like, oh, you're just – like we're not putting Ohio State on watch necessarily. I I mean – well, go ahead. I think I'm just saying like I think it's possible to talk about Michigan – in what we think is the correct context and say that Michigan is better than people are giving them credit for without saying like, get ready Ohio state. This is the year because we're, we're we're not to that point yet. No. And I don't, I don't think they're on watch for like
0: Michigan's going to be a better program than Ohio state in a year. I think they might be on watch for like Michigan could beat them this year. Yeah. I think that's for sure. I think that definitely could happen. I said it could happen two years ago. I think they're back to the point where it could happen. Right. If Shea Patterson's good by then, let's see where we stand. So much depends on Shea Patterson. Um, but when I, I put out a tweet, because I made fun at, at Big Ten Media Days of the way Jim Harbaugh looked, and then I immediately tweeted, but I expect Michigan to be very good. And then, of course, you get Ohio State fans who are like, they suck. They finished third every year. And it's just like, I'm just telling you, if you think Michigan sucks, you're wrong.
2: Yeah. Yes. And you made mention of this, and I'm going to – to my own horde a bit. We just finished. This is Tuesday morning. We finished. I finished up my list of the top fifty Big Ten players for the season. Michigan's tied for the most with nine,
0: and I believe with Ohio State, right? Yes, they're tied with Ohio State for nine. In Tim Bealix's estimation, the two most talented teams in the Big Ten are Ohio State and
2: Michigan. Yes, yeah, so and Michigan has three top ten players and four of the four of the top eleven.
0: Read the top, the four of the top eleven, where you have these Michigan guys ranked. Because right. again. These lists are out. He put out 50 through 26 on Monday, 25 through 1 on Tuesday. The best 50 players in the Big Ten going into this season. With the help of Bill Landis, you offered me some good input, so I'm going to give
2: credit. See how
1: that works? Like, you put out a list, you send it to me, I give you positive feedback. Now, granted, I sent it to you, like, midnight the night before it's supposed to be published. Yeah, but besides I, that, it was good feedback. I had
2: already had 50 to 26 sort of in the system, so I had to go back in and do yeah. a little reshuffling. But the point is, I appreciate it. So... Number one, Nick Bosa. No, no surprise there. Rashawn Gary, I had number two. I pulled a bunch of Big Ten offensive linemen in media days. They were split with one and one each way, two abstaining. So On
0: who's a better player, Bosa or Gary? Yes. Right. Okay. Other Michigan guys are where? Right. Gary's two. Uh, Devin Bush, the linebacker, number seven. All-American candidate at linebacker.
2: Mm-hmm. Kalik Hudson, the safety, number 10. Yep. And Shea Patterson, number 11.
0: And then they've got some real receivers, Karan Higdon at Running Back's a real dude. They've got some guys on the offensive line. I'm just telling you, man. I'm just telling you, they're going to be good. All right. Let's, I want to go right to the question. I thought there was a spectacular question that you and I both retweeted on Twitter last night. Or I retweeted it and you liked it last night. Related to Urban Meyer breakfast coach. Which, again, um, is something that we are investigating. It's a new promotion with Bob Evans. Urban Meyer has been hired as a breakfast coach. But what was the tweet Question about that. You liked it. Because I retweeted it and said uh, something about, like, love our listeners. I think I found it.
1: I have it. It's from Patrick Barton. Uh, he asked, do you agree with Jim Harbaugh's take that the chicken is a nervous bird? If so, what is the optimal optimal oh, oh, meat yeah. to consume for character and athletic development? That
0: was the question. Right. I'm getting confused because there act there is crossover with, like, nervous birds and breakfast coach and eggs yeah. and chickens and whatever. Yeah. Nervous bird. Do you believe the chicken? That's first of all, I want to cover our lifetime interactions with chickens. How often have you guys been around chickens, and do you believe them to be nervous birds?
1: Uh, I saw one get its head off, head cut off one time. That was kind of cool. Like, what was the... <laughs> okay, that you, you may tell that story. <laughs> uh, I was just in North Carolina, and I saw, like, my grandma's neighbor kill a chicken. We didn't eat the chicken. They ate the chicken. Was it bloody? How bloody is it? Not that bloody. It was a clean cut. Does it run? It ran no. around. Ran around a little it did bit. run a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah, that's real. That's yeah. real. That's yeah. not just uh, okay. Um, but that's my my interactions with chickens are limited to that.
0: Tim, you're a country. Are you a country boy or a city boy? More of a city boy. Okay. Have you ever seen any uh, had interactions He's with a chickens? Boy. Yeah,
2: I've seen I've seen chickens. I've seen chickens a couple times. I th- I kind of actually agree with Harbaugh that they're nervous. Any animal that like fast switches his head like. Like, super quick? Like, some people call that head on a swivel. I call that being incredibly
0: paranoid of everything around you. That's true. Do do we have reason to believe? Does it make sense to you that when you eat something, you take on its characteristics? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That is true? No. No, of course not. Oh. Like, if you ate a kangaroo... <laughs> it's such a ridiculous thing to say. Like, oh. I don't
2: eat pulled pork and then all of a sudden want to go jump in a mud
1: pit. Yeah. Do you think... What so, if we found out that every person in the, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame never had chicken? Yeah, like
0: the, so. So, if you guys haven't heard this, it's that Matt Hayes from for Bleacher Report wrote a story about Shea. Pat, it was one of those things where it's like you write a two thousand word profile of Shea Patterson and like words nine hundred through nine sixty are a Wilton Spate quote. Wilton Spate transferred to UCLA. I have a paragraph after here. being Michigan's quarterback, and he talked
1: to Wilton Spate about Jim Harbaugh, and Wilton Spate told this story. Uh, It was about Shea Patterson uh, experiencing the Harbaugh experience, and the paragraph is, How do you explain the Harbaugh experience? Former Michigan quarterback Wilton Spate tells a story to sum it up nicely. Early in his Michigan tenure, Harbaugh pulled Spate aside and told him not to eat chicken, a protein that is considered fairly safe by nutritionists. When Spate asked why, Harbaugh said, quote, because it's a nervous bird.
0: And then – but we'll just wait and then explain
1: further that like Jim Harbaugh oh, right. thinks a sickness has been injected into American society <laughs> through its consumption of chicken. He thinks that – he thinks some type of sickness injected its way into the human population when people began eating white meats instead of beef and pork and he believes it 100%. But isn't pork the other white meat? It is. That's confusing. I, I, I don't
0: – like is that – when Jim Harbaugh – do you think it's is... – do you think Jim Harbaugh – means everything he says, or do you think he just says weird stuff just to be weird sometimes?
1: Uh, No, I I don't... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can't get a read on him. I think maybe it's possible he says weird stuff just to be weird, but like his dad's weird. But his brother's not weird. No, his brother is not weird. So I don't know what it is. I was around John Harbaugh a
0: little bit when he was an assistant coach for the Philadelphia Eagles, and there was not one thing he's about like a normal him. Normal
1: person, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Exceedingly normal, like one of those like of the uh, any coach I've covered in any sport. He's one of the ten most normal people. Yeah. So, like it just I was working on the Harbaugh column, like Michigan's going to be good, Harbaugh whatever for like a week, and I kept not writing it. And then right as I was finishing it, like this story comes out, and it's like, well, all right, fine. Like now I'm writing a story about how a guy who thinks that chicken nervousness has taken down American society, it just makes it harder to write nice things about him. Does it not? It's yeah, when
1: Yeah, he, when, he, when he perpetuates the stereotype. Yeah. Yes!
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, for sure. Okay, so
0: what's the second part of that question, though,
1: from Patrick? Oh, I lost it. He wanted to know uh, what kind of meat we should eat. He said... um Sorry, I got to scroll down. Something about this. promoting character. What, if so, what is the optimal meat to consume for character and athletic development? Okay, Tim, what is the optimal meat
0: for character and athletic development? Ooh, I really
2: want to say chicken because it's like, I, when I think of the three big meats, it's the healthiest of the three as far as, like, good cholesterol. So you're
0: going good. right at Jim
1: Harbaugh.
2: Yes. Okay. Because... And I can get into a chicken discussion later after we answer this question. Uh, uh, No,
1: we can't. Uh, I have two answers. Okay. Horse. Horse. Yeah. Like, very athletic.
0: Very athletic. (laughs) You know who I would like to eat? I would like to eat a triple crown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Justify? I want to eat Justify. Yeah. (laughs) That's my dream. Why don't they do that? Forget stud fees for real, okay, so it's like, You're oh, you can out for steaks, yeah, <laughs> would you pay for that? okay, but after
1: it's like, so you go... that's like something like, like that's like uh something like Dr. Evil would do like, oh, I bought a triple crown winner to eat to eat, to eat.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know who else would do it? Jim, Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, so horse that's a good answer horse uh shark, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. I'm so hungry for shark now. <laughs> I think those we like are like lion. Oh my god! Yeah, I want. Are you having a barbecue? Yeah.
2: <laughs> now here's a question, kind of based off that. If can I, if I could change my answer now that we can go to like any animal ever, I would say cheetah because if you because if you want to take on the properties of the animal you eat, wouldn't you want to eat the fastest animal there is?
0: Yeah, well, I guess that's the thing. Like, would Jim Harbaugh like make his receivers eat cheetah and make his offensive linemen? Eat grizzly bears, right? I mean, yeah, like yeah.
2: Donovan Peoples Jones is going to eat a couple cheetahs and he's going to run a sub four two.
0: Like that's in line with this thinking, yeah. right? If yeah. you take on the characteristics of the animal that you eat, I know, like Jim Harbaugh, like if, if if one of his players went out and like shot a rabbit, he wouldn't let him eat the rabbit.
1: No, that's a nervous. That's a nervous that's an, uh, mammal. That's a mammals? nervous.
0: <laughs> it's insane. I mean, it's just yeah. it's just hard. It's like you. you you try. I mean, like I, I'm trying. When I was there at Big Ten Media Days, you can watch the videos with my story at Cleveland.com. I'm trying to ask. I tried to ask Jim Carbaugh if he'd be any better coach this year, a more comfortable coach in year four than compared to year one. He's like, ah, comfort. Oh, I, I don't associate that word with football. You threw me with comfort. What is it? Comfort. I don't know if you ever feel comfortable in football. And we're just like, dear God, can we just have a human? It wasn't. It was fine. It just wasn't a thing. It wasn't a human interaction. So, you know what he seemed? You know, Honestly, you know how he seemed a little bit? Nervous.
2: Nervous. <laughs> that actually is a pretty good Jim Harbaugh impression. He was
0: like, ah, had a chicken for lunch, and I... so I'm still nervous out there. I'm looking around. It's like, uh... no, my chicken, you know.
2: <laughs> they didn't tell me. Puts
0: it, it pecks the ground. Pecked the ground again and again.
2: They didn't you know. tell me they were only serving chicken at the kickoff lunch. today.
0: <laughs> That's like the uh, that's Ohio State's strategy when they play Michigan is put chicken in the locker room. All I right, wanna let's know, move I want to know
1: what he eats for every meal. Sounds like a story. Yeah. You can do an open records request yeah. <laughs> for Jim Harbaugh's many, lunchtime orders. How many pounds of beef gets sent to uh, the Schembeckler Building? Every is week? a cow? Is a cow that regal of a beast?
0: <laughs> oh, I like it. Look, you ever see a cow? You ever see a cow out in the field and the cow's just looking? And, and observing the world. I want to eat that cow. No, it's a cow. It's a, a cow is a dumb rock of an animal. Is it not? Yeah, more so than a chicken.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Uh, I'm sitting on 41 emails, so we're not going to answer all of them. I'm going to try to get through them as best as I can.
0: Lightning round. What's, a, what's, our, what's the sound for the lightning round?
1: Um,
2: <laughs> Probably just another gong if we're going to be completely honest <laughs> right Holy now. Oh, we got it's gongs.
1: All right. Terry Glyne, uh asked a month ago on June 29th, uh, he says, after losing Kerry Combs, what do, you th- what do we think of Taver Johnson and his ability to develop, develop and produce first-round corners year after year like Kerry Combs did? Up for debate. I think he's good. I don't know if
0: he's great. If you watch, it seems like the Tennessee Titans media people and, and fans are falling in love with Kerry Combs, just like Ohio State fans did. He's got that energy. I think Taver Johnson has a lot of energy. Nobody has Kerry Combs' energy. I think it's up for debate.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think, uh, I think I said this before about Tabor Johnson, like, look, look, we'll see what they get in 2020 yeah. from a recruiting standpoint. And then, like, if Kendall Sheffield ends up being a first round corner, which I don't think is impossible, I don't know how much credit I give Tabor Johnson for that. So I think it's, like, it's a multi-year process to figure out whether or not he can do what Kerry Combs did. I mean, I, I still think one of the most amazing things is, is when Kerry Combs was playing Denzel
0: Ward and rotating him in with Garyon Conley and Marshawn Lattimore, we were like, what are you doing? And he's like, Denzel Ward is as good as these guys. And then Denzel Ward went on to be the number four pick in the draft. Yep. With not ideal size, great speed, great instincts, not
1: ideal size. I think Denzel Ward is, is an unbelievable final example of Kerry Combs. Tim, let's do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through the email questions. You go through the Twitter questions, and we'll alternate alternate back and forth. Okay. Um, this is not really a question, a football question per se, but um, Ross Amor sent it in on July 10th, and he said, uh, "I've heard Doug mention uh, being nonpartisan before, and I know uh, I know Doug and Bill are not from Ohio. Tim went to Ohio State." Can you guys talk about your relationship with the Ohio State football program from a professional versus personal level, how you manage the two sides? And it says, even if you started to cover Ohio State from a professional perspective, do you find yourself having fan tendencies the more you cover the team? That's a great question. Yeah. Some people probably could give two hoots. Some people might like this inside baseball stuff. Uh, Bill, you go first. Um, yeah, like I had zero tie whatsoever to Ohio or Ohio State before I took this job, and uh. No, I don't, I don't, I don't develop uh, fan tendencies from the aspect of like wanting, get, caring whether Ohio State wins or loses. I do think the one thing that happens is you, I think you start to root for guys a little bit. Um, guys, you get to interview, talk, and we don't get to know them all that intimately, but, um, I don't like a guy like Dante Booker, for instance, we talked about him earlier. Like he's had a really rough run of injuries. I covered Dante Booker in high school a little bit. Tim did too. And I think you just want to see like good things happen for guys like that. And it doesn't mean Ohio State winning a national championship or beating Michigan or winning anything. It just means like these guys having their college career like going according to the plan that they hoped it would when they got to school. So um I think you root for guys. Uh I do not root for Ohio State, and I try it's easier for me because um, I never had a tie to them to begin with. Maybe it's harder for some other people. Um, but I don't care whether they win or lose, but I, I hope for good things for the individuals on the team.
0: Tim, this is an interesting question for you, because you, unlike us, but like many people who cover Ohio State on the Ohio State beat. Oh, nearly the entire beat. You are a graduate of the Ohio State University. So yes. what's your answer to this?
2: It, Admittedly, you know, it's kind of hard a little bit, but... I think when when I get in the press box, especially the first or second time, it's like you know, just trying to establish like, okay, I'm here to do a job. I'm here to be objective. You know, think, let's just kind of observe what I'm seeing, write it, and just kind of leave everything else, you know, to the side a little bit. And I think be covering this team for a year that's really kind of taken more of the precedence in my mind is thinking of it from the objective side, but. Having gone there and having watched the team for a while, it did give me a really good background coming in where I felt like I was able to at least try and hit the ground running when I came in here since I knew a lot, obviously having seen been to Ohio Stadium several times before um watching games for years, just knowing kind of what's going on and actually i I admit I was like more concerned about you know just how the first game or so would be, you know covering it, but I think I was like you know it's it's okay, I can work.
1: I got no problem doing what I need to do. We beat it out of you. There is a benefit, though, to having like the institutional knowledge. Like I, I, when I first started here, I didn't have that, and I'm still learning, and I probably will continue to learn for as long as I cover the team. Like Tim knows far more about Ohio State's past than I do. Yeah, well, which is good because no, it's a good, good resource, but also like it helps some great things.
0: So I've had it both ways. The the first team that I ever covered for a full time beat, I covered the Philadelphia Phillies for four years, having grown up as a Phillies fan. I grew up in Pennsylvania. Baseball was my favorite sport. They were the team I cared about the most, and then I went on to cover them. And so um, that was the thing I was going to say. You do have that institutional knowledge. I could have named – I was covering them in – God, I'm old. I was covering (laughs) them in 1999, and I could have told you their starting lineup in
1: 1984. I was 11 years old going to those games, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it, so, fun? Isn't it nice to think that like, you and I were in the same place at the same we time? We were, I'm awesome. sure. Absolutely. I used to I would go to 50 games a year when the Phillies sucked. and they Yeah, and I was up in that freaking box. <laughs> um, so
0: I do think there is something to that institutional knowledge. I also did not have that coming here. I think, Bill, you're right. Um, you get to know the people. And here's the other thing, too. I think there's there's a – and I'm experiencing this even more with the Cleveland teams. Now they're doing some other, more other, other Cleveland things, especially with the Browns. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. But I know that you care. And so, yes, you get to know the people and, and you think to yourself, boy, like, um, Terry McLaurin is like a really good person, it seems like. So if Terry McLaurin catches a 50-yard touchdown, you know to yourself, that's a really good, hardworking, good person just caught a 50-yard touchdown. I don't care what jersey he's wearing, but a good thing happened to a good person. That's a real human emotion. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, we are here for you. If they could fit 100,000 people in the press box, they'd fit a 100,000 people in the press box. If it made sense to have 100,000 people ask Urban Meyer questions, they'd do that. We only exist because that's not feasible. So even though I don't care, I have to care because you care. And I'm we're paid to be here for you. So I know when it matters that much to you, It doesn't mean that we root for Ohio State, because I don't think that's a service to you. And I know there are other places out there that do root for Ohio State, that are media outlets that vary outwardly, some secretly. secretly. But I think that's the change in journalism in my career. Everybody would acknowledge that. There's a lot of places now where it's not a secret. You don't have to just think, oh, they're homers. It's like, of course they're homers. They want to be. So if you want that kind of coverage, you can find it. We don't give you that kind of coverage because we think we serve you in a different way. And that's by shooting it straight, right? But I care because you care. And so I understand that when Ohio State suffers a tough loss, you guys are upset. And so I don't think it it it, it doesn't affect our coverage, but I think you can't be blind to that. And so I do think we write in different ways. If you're the AP writer and you're straight down the middle and you're going to the whole world, that's different than knowing that 95% of the people who read and listen to us are diehard Ohio State fans. So it's not what we think, but I think it's okay for us to reflect that because we know how much it matters to you guys. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that makes sense.
2: Do we want football or food next for a question? You
0: you, you call it Uncle Tim.
2: Okay, I'll go, I'll go food.
0: Uncle Tim's food! Questions,
2: all right. This is from our guy Chase Richardson. This is a multi tiered question, so pick whichever one you want to go with first. Do you guys need an excuse to eat candy? Will you wait until you're at the movies, or will you just buy one of those one dollar boxes from CBSD? Chocolate or fruity sour type candy? Can you eat a favorite candy
0: and maybe give a top five list, Tim? I know that you. Everywhere in your life where like most people would eat a vegetable, you eat a candy bar. Is that correct? Um, no comment. No comment. That means yes. How much candy do
1: you eat a day, Tim Beulich? Uh, do you eat
0: a candy bar every day?
1: No. Do you eat candy in some fashion every day? No. Really? Okay, that's good.
2: I mean, I, I don't, don't know. That. like. In fairness, I do have protein bars, which some people claim is candy, even though it's not. It's actually pretty good. That's not candy. Okay. So what's your
0: candy assessment on your life, Tim Bielik? Um, I'm big on, like, my two favorites would have to be M&M's and Kit Kats. Okay, I respect the fact that you went chocolate. I was worried you were going to drop, like, these uh, Sour Patch Kids on me. Oh, no. I, 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 I Oh, no. Yeah, I hate oh, Sour right. Candy. We'll get to you. You hate Sour Candy.
2: I'm not into Sour Candy. It's never been a thing for me. Okay. But in, in terms of, you know, what Chase was asking, uh, needing an excuse, in a way I kind of do – Because I'm, like, not the kind of person who would just have candy whenever he wants. Like, it has to be kind of presented in a certain way. Like, you have to give it to me for free. Like, like... (laughs) Oh, it's like a free sample or something. Or it has to be presented on something like a cookie or... Ice cream or whatever, like for example, corner baker, which is five minutes away from my apartment. they have like what's called monster cookies, which is just like & m M&M minis on like a cookie, and they get they have it in, like a little pack or whatever, like monster cookie, but it's like four bucks they're fantastic.
1: Bill Landis what was the question? Cookie time. it's candy time on Uncle Tim's radio. Uh I don't need a whole lot of candy. Um when I do, it's like I'm in line at the grocery store and I'm like, oh, uh Skittles sound good. I'll get a bag of Skittles. But I don't really eat a ton of candy. Um I probably prefer something like Skittles or Sour Patch Kids or Starburst to uh like a Hershey's Hershey ha- bar. Okay. Um I don't know. Like you- it's not it's not that I dislike them. Like I I really like Three Musketeers. That my favorite candy bar. Um I also like a hundred grand. Um, but I'm not necessarily looking for like richness when I get candy. Is that, that makes sense? Yeah. I think that's why, like, I like, I like chocolate. Like I eat chocolate ice cream. I'll eat chocolate cake. I'll eat chocolate, whatever. But, um, but I'm not like when I think like, oh, I want some candy. I'm like, oh, I want to go eat a whole chocolate bar.
0: When you guys eat greasy food, do you have a chocolate craving afterward? Yeah, sometimes. But you do not fill your chocolate craving with a chocolate candy bar. Typically, you fill it with another version of chocolate. Yeah, usually ice cream if I can. So I think that the, the candy bar as dessert is, is underrated. My fam- it's like everybody always wants to get ice cream for dessert. There's only so much ice cream you can eat. Sometimes I just want to drive to a convenience store and everybody go in and get a candy bar. And, and yeah. actually, there's fewer carbs. I have to, I'm diabetic, so I need to... It's just healthy. So I only eat nine <laughs> candy bars a week instead of 30. But it's lower carbs to eat a candy bar than it is to eat like a... Two scoops of ice cream, yeah. you know? Um, and I think – but my children, every time my children get candy, they get sugary, sour – they get Skittles or Sour Patch Kids. They never – like when we're driving somewhere, we drive a lot. We're driving on a long car trip. You stop at a convenience store. Okay, can we get something? Yeah. They never get chocolate. And it bothers me that their instinct in candy is not chocolate, which baffles me. Like I like a good Starburst sometimes too. But like I'm going for a chocolate bar. Like a chocolate bar to me is a true treat. And I probably eat a couple a week. But I appreciate it when I do. And it is wonderful every time. And I think it is a lovely thing. If you're out and about after lunch or dinner. And I can't—I think people should eat more chocolate bars and fewer cookies, cake, ice cream. And I feel like people, you just forget about candy bars. Yeah. There's not a candy bar. There's not a candy bar Baskin Robbins. Like, hey, you guys want to go for dessert? And if you if you said to somebody, if you were with people and said, let's go for dessert, and you drove them to UDF and said, everybody get a candy bar. People would be like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And you'd be like, I'm giving you the most satisfying dessert experience you could ask for. And I just feel like people are missing out. Meanwhile, Tim Bielik's over here. You'll sprinkle candy on something else. You'll want it in a cookie. You'll put it in a blizzard. But you're not eating the straight candy. I don't get it.
2: I mean, I haven't had a pure candy bar in a while. Your convincing speech makes me want to go out and buy, like, a Crunch Bar.
0: Yes. Crunch. You should bar- go buy
2: one. Crunch Bar is also vastly underrated. I like, you know, the bars that, no, no pun intended, have a little crunch to it. The chocolate and all that stuff. It's it's a fun combination.
0: Crunch Bar has always been one of my favorites. All right. That's enough candy talk. Uh, I think we're over two hours. I think it's bad when we have segments. Because we lose track. We're right at it. So let's hit a couple more lightning round. No more
1: five-minute answers on candy. Um, Oliver from Maryland sent in an email. He said, uh, with the new redshirt rule, would it make sense to save some studs for the postseason as there would be very little film on them? Meaning, you get four games... Maybe you don't use all four beginning of the season, middle of the season, whatever, so that you have them for like the Michigan game, the Big Ten title game, playoff, bowl game, whatever. So that you're throwing new talented players into the mix without the opponent having much film on those players. I think this redshirt rule has been overrated. I think people are overthinking it. I think I said it before in the
0: 25-minute podcast discussion we had on redshirts. I I mean, I get the question, I guess, but it's like, oh, we're not going to play Torada Mitchell, but we're going to save him for the Michigan game? For what? Because he's better than Baron Browning, like I just I, I don't get it. I think it is a lot of talk, and it's not really going to change that much. It's just going to give it's going to give more guys a chance to play a little bit in blowouts,
1: and that's it. Yeah, I think I don't. I don't think you're saving guys. If you if there are guys who were good enough to be impactful players in a bowl game, they're playing all year. Um, so I don't think you're saving guys for the end of the year. And the best players don't play five years anyway. Yes,
0: it's just gonna. It, you're there. You're just going to see guys on the field that were stupidly red-shirted before and not played at all are going to get a little taste in blowouts. And that's it. All right. Tim, what's your question? Um,
2: From Michael Wine at Buckeye underscore seven. What's the position Ohio State can't
0: afford an injury to a starter? That's a great question. Mm. (coughs) Sounds like a burning question.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm always always wary to, like, write right, and talk about potential injuries because I don't want to put that bad juju out into the world. Um, Trying to think where they're thinnest.
0: Offensive tackle? I was going to say that. I was thinking, like, you said earlier we don't know exactly Prince and Munford. It's going to be shocking if Prince is the left tackle because the whole thing is Prince was going to be the left tackle. Oh, no, he's not. I think the decision's been made. So it's like they felt like he wasn't comfortable at left tackle, keep him at right. If something happened to Thayer Munford – and now you're shifting Prince to the left side where he wasn't comfortable, or
1: you're putting somebody in there unless, Which you, you know or, what, you or, just put Brandon Bowen in somewhere and you're fine. Well, that's like, who it would be. It's Brandon Brandon Bowen. Like Regardless of how the starters shake out, Brandon Bowen is the next tackle up. But then if you get beyond him, then you're like a Nick petit Frere's a true freshman, Josh Alby, who's a converted defensive lineman, who's been on the offensive side for, for I guess be, this will be a second year now, but... It's thin, which is why adding tackles in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty recruiting is so important. Um, but it might be the thinnest position they have. I'm trying it's, to think, like I, I would say, safety. But but, there, but there's
2: know, five there's so guys in the mix to
0: start at safety. We don't know who it's going to be. So are you saying if Jordan Fuller got hurt, they'd be screwed because then we'd have two safety spots where we don't know the hell they're doing? What the hell they're doing?
2: It'd be like considering how good Jordan Fuller is, and you know all the question marks behind him. It, it'd be like. Disaster, potential disaster. Like you, okay. would need, you would need those other guys to be studs from day one. All Otherwise, of a sudden, your secondary is in deep trouble.
0: You're playing
1: Isaiah Pryor and Amir Reap. Or you're playing Josh Proctor and. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't just be like, well, let's just throw Jeff Okuda back there. Because they, they have. they have de- It's unproven depth, but they have depth at corner and safety, I think. So, like, if you were to lose Jordan Fuller, it's not to minimize that because I think he's an all Big Ten caliber player who was going to get drafted next year. But I think you could throw Jeff Okuda back there and be okay, and then like Marcus Williamson or Sean Wade plays more at corner. Or you have Amir Reap, and you have Jocelyn Wynn, and you have Isaiah Pryor, and you have Brendan White. Um, I just think they have bodies there that would be okay. Like, they don't have those bodies at offensive tackle.
0: I mean, the, the one thing I will say is I think it's possible. Again, this is a really interesting roster. I think there's a lot of guys who are good, who are expected to start, but I'm not so sure that their young backups behind them aren't better than them. Mm-hmm. And that if – I think it's because these recruiting classes, like the 17 and 18 recruiting classes are so good that I think there's a lot of places that if if somebody got hurt, if a junior or senior got hurt and was like, uh-oh, this sophomore has got to start now, be like, oh, yeah, he's really good. Mm-hmm. Or this freshman's – like, so I, I don't know. And also their top end, they have fewer super, 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 super proven superstars. <laughs> And the couple they have have backups. So if Nick Bosa went down, you'd play Jonathan Cooper and Chase Young most snaps at defensive end. And I think you'd be okay. You'd be worse, for sure. But I think you'd be okay. J.K. Dobbins went down. Mike Weber gets 28 carries a game. And I think you'd be okay.
1: Yeah, I think it would, it would change the offense a little bit. But it's not – yeah, you're still okay. And then beyond Bosa and J.K. Dobbins, who are your other superstars? I mean, like who are your other proven superstars?
0: Draymond Jones went down, I guess, maybe a defensive tackle, but I just, I just think it's an interesting roster. There's,
1: there's tight ends a little thin, maybe. So if or not if, thin, if if Luke just it, but just Farrell got hurt just and kind of plays an every down,
0: I don't know. Yeah, like, but then sure? the,
1: yeah, I mean it's not thin's probably the wrong way to say it, but it's just they only have they have four, and I guess only like four is probably a good number to carry. But the four guys, like the one who's played the most is Rashad Berry who we don't really know what his deal is. He got injured at the end of spring, and Luke Farrell's number one right now. Like, There are some questions at tight end at the very least.
0: I think there are lots of 17 and 18 players, freshmen and sophomores on this roster, who are waiting to play, and they aren't going to be expected to start because they're so young. A couple of them will, Chase Young and guys like that. Mm-hmm. Most of them won't, but I think if you had to put them in, I think a lot of them would be pretty good pretty quick.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have uh, one more question. Zach Dixon emailed and he said, well, Ohio State have 90, I mean, nine captains again this year. Uh, what do you, who do you think the captains will be? We should find this out relatively soon, right? I think they announced it in, in camp, toward the beginning of camp. Can I say a thing that is not
0: an unusual opinion, I think? What? I don't care. No, I don't they care have, But they have so many captains now, they've devalued it. It doesn't matter.
1: People want to know who we think they'll be, though. But if there's
0: nine of them, Who cares? It's the nine. It's the nine veteran guys that you'd pick. Back when you were choosing, back when they had two or three or maybe four captains, and it was like, well, listen, they had eight candidates. They're only picking four. They're picking all nine candidates now. Yep. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Everybody you think is could be. Everybody you think could be a captain
1: is going to be a captain. So who cares? But I don't know. Are the names that obvious? Like Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin were captains last year. They'll be captains again this year. Who else is obvious? Mike Weber
0: will be a captain. Prince will be a captain.
1: Is Nick Bosa obviously a captain?
0: I think Nick Bosa will be a captain. Draymond will be a captain. Maybe B.B. Landers will be a captain. Maybe Keandre Jones will be a captain. Sheffield on our net. Jordan Fuller. I don't know. There's your ten captains. I don't know. There are ten seniors. All ten of them are captains. It's been devalued. I don't know why. I don't know why. I think it's silly. I mean, it's not worth getting that worked up about. Yeah. I mean I'm not gonna write a thousand word story about that you only have four captains instead of nine, because I probably already did that. But I don't but like before it was like, ooh, there was a time when that was an interesting question. It's not interesting. Who cares? Sorry, Zach. Zach agrees. Zach agrees. Zach uh ag- But he also wanted to know who we think they'll be. Okay, so pick them. How you pick your nine captains?
1: Uh Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin. Uh Isaiah Prince Draymond Jones uh Mike Weber that's a good one Uh Jordan Fuller Jordan Fuller and Dante Booker I'm at 7 no wait take Dante Booker back tough world I'm at 7 BB did you say Mike Weber say, yeah. you said
0: Mike Weber yeah. I too doubt because I didn't care no offense, it's not about you guys. It's not about you guys. It's about what they've chosen to do to captains at Ohio
1: State. I'm at seven. throwing BB. And that's eight. Also, named Tate Martell captain. That's fine. Okay, that's it. Is
0: Liam McCullough going to be a captain? I'm not. Even, I'm not even joking. He might be. I don't. Fifth think year it. senior, special teams guy. No. <sighs> Why Liam McCullough should be a captain? I'll write Was that. Was Cam Johnson a captain? I don't know. He's Australian. Nobody respects Australians. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I take that back. That's going to come back to haunt me. That's going to end my career. Uh, Tim, do you have any more questions?
2: Um, There's a couple, but I, f- I feel like they'd all be saved for other episodes. Like Jack Hewitt wants us to share our hottest food takes ever. Uh, Brigham Taylor Jr. wants to ask, Wants us to compare each conference. Are we
0: answering these questions? To- or Are you
1: just talking about the questions? We, we're not going to sh- answer.
0: Should we do it all questions next podcast? Although we're going to have camp now,
1: this should have been the podcast where we did all questions. I'm only sitting on 37 more emails. So,
2: well, I'll end on a quick food question from another Russian bot. He already asked. Is he asked, is Zach Carmen this year's Jackson Carmen? I think we already kind Zach of Harrison this year's Jackson Carmen. Okay, I right. We already touched on that, and, and then we'll end on this. Also, carrot cake, good dessert or great oh, dessert? I did see that question. I say terrible dessert.
1: Uh, There's a shock. It's got a vegetable in it. No, I like carrot cake. Uh, Pretty good dessert, I think. I was thinking
0: of suggesting we introduce a segment each week called Tim Tries a Vegetable. (laughs) Yeah.
2: We we still got to get Bill to try some caramel corn.
1: Let's get you some fiber first.
0: Hey, kids. (laughs) Uncle Tim thinks eating healthy is important. That's why he's going to try asparagus.
1: Have you ever had asparagus? Uh... Definitely not. not that
0: I remember. It's,
2: de- it's delicious.
1: Not. It's wonderful. I like it. Grilled asparagus, top top ten vegetable. I don't want to.
0: I was going to say I don't want to. I kind of want to. I wouldn't force a vegetable down your throat. But if I if I made some asparagus for the next podcast, would you try it
2: uh, uh, on the podcast? I'm, I I suddenly just envisioned the scene in the office where Michael Scott makes Kevin eat a bro- eat a thing of broccoli. He like shoves it in his face. I'm oh, envisioning yeah. that.
0: But Yes, so am I. So that's my question like, is, that's would like, you do it? I don't know. Tim's getting very nervous now. You know what? I'm going to eat more Chickens, ner- Chickens make Jim Harbaugh nervous. Asparagus makes Tim Bielek nervous. It's a nervous vegetable, so he won't eat it. Um, all right. Thanks to our friends at shopohiostate.com. Make sure you be a shopping at shopohiostate.com. It's really good. There's just a lot of good stuff. Sometimes I just like to look through websites and think about what I want to buy later. And bookmark some things. So try it at shopohiostate.com. Um follow us at Tim Bielek, at Bill Landis twenty five, at Douglay Maurice, at Buckeye Talk Pod. What's the email again, Landis? Buckeye Talk Pod at gmail.com. Drop the five star reviews on iTunes. August twenty seventh show, go to Clinton.com slash OSU and get a ticket, get a ticket, get a ticket. Uh, camp Starts Friday. Interviews, we'll
1: have interview sessions, right? We'll have interview sessions probably by the next between between now and the next podcast. We'll have them on Friday. I think we're getting coordinators on Friday and maybe a player or two. And then I think we have interviews the following Tuesday. Okay. So we got
0: stuff popping. It's about that time. So um, thanks for sticking with us through this entire offseason. You made it. Football is here. Cleveland.com is the place to follow the Buckeyes uh, and everything else about sports in Ohio. So, for Tim Bielek and Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Uncle Tim's Radio Show!
3: I'm Urban Meyer, and I approve this breakfast.